Tune in to the Neil Prendeville Show weekdays from 9am on Cork's Red FM. Seven minutes after nine. Good morning. This is Mick Mulcahy on the Neil Prendeville Show. Soap yours, says the main headline in The Sun today. The front page has a publican has blasted the government for victimising bars as Gardy halted his defiant reopening after just two hours. Garod Whelan began trading yesterday morning in County Limerick, flouting government rules after the planned reopening of pubs that don't serve food was postponed until at least August 10th. He told the Irish Sun we should be allowed to prove we can live in the new normal. The publican opened his bar in contravention of the COVID rules, barring drink-only boozers, until August 10th. But two hours later, on the stroke of 1pm, Gardy entered Whelan's Bar on Maiden Street in Newcastle, West County, Limerick, and ordered Gerard Whelan to shut up shop. He said he was advised by the two Gardy to cease trading before they handed him a copy of the amended Health Act 1947. The 42-year-old added, we opened our doors at 10 to 11 and we opened as a wet house, the same as we closed last March. Wet house means not serving food. Uh, at one o'clock, the Gardaí entered the premises and advised me to close under the Health Act 1947 and so I'm complying with their advice and I've closed my doors. I don't agree with it and I don't see why. We are doing nothing wrong, we're doing nothing illegal, nothing illegal going on. I've massive respect for the Gardaí and we wouldn't have a business without them. So for the moment, I'm going to close my doors. So point made. I wonder, though, when it comes to licence renewal time in September, will the Gardaí object? And uh, then he'll be in bigger trouble. But there you go. 90% wear masks in shops. Sarah O'Dwyer reporting in the Echo that upwards of 90% of people in Cork City are wearing face coverings entering shops, according to a number of retailers. There are new recommendations uh, which have uh, stated that face coverings should be worn in all retail settings. And this came into force yesterday. Why it wasn't in force in the height of the uh, COVID spike is beyond me, but there you go. Liam Ryan, who runs uh, four super value stores in Toker, Glanmire, Grange and Kilmallock, said he'd seen huge changes in the number of people wearing masks since the weekend, since the announcement. It's another string on the bow. And if it helps, it helps. And all of his staff are also complying with the regulations. However, he said that it can be difficult for them to have their faces covered for such a prolonged period. And I would advise, uh, you know, I've seen people wearing masks all day long. You go into uh, or see people in hospitals, uh, you see people in shops, they're wearing them all day long. And if they need to take them off to take a breath, uh, then be lenient with them if they do. Uh, you know, you only have to wear them for the 5, 10, 15 minutes you're in the shop. And uh, I find them uncomfortable and would rather not wear one. But there you go. You have to uh, play your part, I suppose, and, and go with the NEFF guidelines. But spare a thought for those who have to wear them all day long. Families miss out on staycation subsidies, says the Independent, as it won't start until September. The scheme aimed uh, is aimed at off-peak period after the schools will reopen. And the rent freeze guarantee will come to an end now. Uh, not to today or tomorrow, which, whichever it was to be, but it's going to be on August 1st. Families looking to take a holiday this year risk missing out on the government's staycation subsidy as it's not expected to be introduced until September. The first-of-its-kind tax-back scheme would focus on increasing trade for hotels and restaurants. Why don't they reduce the VAT from 13.5% down to 5 or 6%? The first-of-its-kind tax-back scheme would focus on increasing trade for hotels and restaurants, but it's set to be targeted at the period when the season traditionally dies down at the end of August, uh, so says the Irish Independent. COVID-19 sparks craze for campers, says The Sun. Camper van companies have been saved from the COVID-19 crash by a boom in Irish people buying up cancelled bookings in a bid to get away this summer. Rental firms all across the country were facing devastation when thousands of overseas tourists cancelled their trips 
due to the pandemic. But rental firms all across the country uh, are now in good recovery mode. The government is this week set to publish a green list of countries that it'll be safe to travel to, but thousands have already decided to go on a staycation this year amid calls for us to holiday at home. A record-breaking spike in natives looking to hire camper vans and explore the wild Atlantic way has steered firms back from the brink with rentals sold out for the rest of the summer. Every cloud has a silver lining. Staycations can't, however, replace the overseas tourism market. So says Michael Martin of Cove and the Titanic Trail. We don't really have a strong voice in our sector, and yet it's one of the most important sectors of the entire country. That's the message of a concerned business owner as the outlook for the tourism sector looks continually bleak. The popular Titanic Trail walking tours in Cove, which usually attract up to 45 people on numerous tours each day in high season, have suffered the biggest loss of cancellations in its 22 years of operating due to the loss of the American market. The tours cover the heritage of Cove and the history of its streets and buildings, which have not changed since the Titanic's port of call in 1912 and attracts the interest of thousands of US tourists every year. A lot of them, of course, coming in on liners uh, and none of that happening this year either. Although the general commentary surrounding the domestic market is that staycations can replace the loss of the overseas market. Michael Martin, who's been running the walking tour since 1998, says that even if you had the entire domestic market come into Cove, it still wouldn't replace what has been lost and has called for more support and consideration for the sector. He was kind of, to me anyway, the inventor of the walking tour. He's the first guy who put it out there, and uh, certainly in Cove, and uh, it's a testament to the quality of Michael's tours uh, that they have lasted so long and are still so refreshingly educational today. So if you are having a staycation, then consider going to Cove and do one of the walking tours. There's a very good uh, Cove Rebel walking tour and the Titanic walking tour is excellent as well. Firms urged to review COVID safety. You're no safer because you're in a work environment, uh, the CMO warns. Jess Casey reporting in the Examiner that health chiefs have warned that employers must ramp up COVID-19 safety measures following outbreaks in supermarkets, fast food outlets and at least 20 cases linked to an outbreak on one Dublin construction site. However, there are signs that there could be a breakthrough in combating the disease as two early-stage vaccine trials have shown promising initial results and good news, I think, coming from the Oxford University trials, according to Sky News last night. A vaccine by Christmas, says the Mirror Today, Irish Health Chiefs hail university breakthrough after promising trial results. And here we go with the Oxford University story. Hopes are growing. A COVID-19 vaccine could be ready by Christmas after very promising trial results. Oxford University has developed a jab that sparks an immune reaction. And Ireland's acting chief medical officer, Dr. Ronan Glynn, said, I welcome these positive results. Trams every five minutes. If you want to see the future of Cork, pick up today's Evening Echo. Front page, page two and page three have remarkable uh, planning documents and schematics of what will be the future of transport in Cork. It's kind of a Lewis. Would you call it a Coos? The Cork uh, light rail system or whatever? Anyway, uh, it's going to go from Ballancolig all the way to Matten Point. And there are many, many stops along the way. UCC, CIT, Kent Station, St. Patrick Street and Matten Point. From Ballancolig to Matten, the journey time is expected to be 47 minutes, while 27 trams are needed to ensure a five-minute frequency on the route. Five-minute frequency, all of those stops and more than 3,000 passengers are expected to change between rail, bus and Lewis services at Kent Station at peak morning time. Imagine being able to get to Kent Station from, say, Cove or Middleton and then get to the CIT on one hop of a tram uh, or, you know, get to Matten Point on uh, maybe one change, 
two hops of a tram, whatever. Uh, but Sarah O'Dwyer has a fantastic report, front page, page two and three of uh, today's Echo. Also in the Echo, residents are voicing their concern over littering. Concerns have been raised about excessive littering and antisocial behaviour at some of Cork's most popular beaches in recent days. Residents in Fountainstown, Myrtleville and Shellhole have uh, been left to clean up after beachgoers who trashed the area with bottles, cans and rubbish. It's not too hard to pick up after yourself and leave the beach in the state that you got it in. Bill Carney is a resident of the Shellhole area, which lies between Fountainstown and Myrtleville. says he's no issue with people coming to the area and having a good time, but that littering is unacceptable. We'll look through uh, the rest of the papers uh, if we have time during this very busy programme between now and, twa- now and 12 this morning. Coming up on 16 after 9 now. The Neil Prenderville Show. With Tesco. Save time and shop online. Simply log on to tesco.ie. And a very good morning to you from the Neil Prenderville Show. Now, we said we'd talk about the weather and no greater expert than Alan O'Reilly from Carlo Weather and, of course, a huge presence on Twitter and on Facebook. Good morning, Alan. Good morning, Mick. Would you consider, Alan, that the weather has been a bit iffy so far? Well, it, it certainly has. I mean, considering what we had in May um, since really the second week of June, it's been a bit iffy. But it was a nice weekend and, and yesterday and obviously a lovely morning again. So it's uh, it's kind of these little short little windows of, of high pressure that comes up and gives us a, a few days of sunshine. But we haven't seen the consistent kind of heat wave type scenario that most people are, are longing for. Mm. And I suppose the big question is, are we going to get it? People use these apps, like I use XC Weather and Windy and all of these kind of things, but you guys can look a bit further into the future. Yeah, the weather models are struggling though, um, but certainly I would say, first of all, make the most of today, um, and in, fa- in fairness, Cork will probably have a pretty good day tomorrow compared to many parts of the country. It will be cloudy, but it should hold mainly dry until tomorrow night in Cork. But it does look like it's going to go downhill from there. The, the jet stream is going to, uh, to come back over us, and it's going to bring us kind of waves of into, you know, mixed kind of weather, I suppose. Showers, clouds. There will be some sunny spells. There will be some breaks, like probably Thursday evening, Friday morning. It looks okay, but the weekend then looks very mixed. And and looking in towards the longer range, then unfortunately, it does look to stay kind of fairly unsettled for the early days of next week as well. Um, some of the longer range hints do do show it possibly settling down, um, maybe towards the second week in August, but. You know the, the the reliability of those weather models, unfortunately, is is not great. The only thing I would say, Mick, is a lot of people see. Um, obviously, we all learned in school that May, June, and July were our summer months. But from a meteorological season, June, July, and August is actually summer, and August is one of our warmest months. Um, July and August are our warmest months, so we, we're not heading towards autumn when we get to the end of the month from a weather point of view. So we still have another whole, I suppose, month and a half of summer to come. So. We'd be hopeful that you will see another spell of good weather in August, but it is it is hard to see it in the in the reliable time frame, unfortunately. Okay, at the we, we we can have very good April and May, maybe not for extended periods, and we can have mm-hmm. invariably when the kids went back to school a very warm September sometimes. Yeah, I mean that 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 back to school weather is a is a well well known phenomenon, and and certainly you know as I say, August is still a summer month from a weather point of view. So the end of August and even the early days of September can 
can really still give us, you know, some really good weather. And temperatures have been a little bit below normal um, for July. So we, we kind of have a polar maritime air over us at the moment, which is why we've had some cool nights. And, and when the sun goes in, it does feel much cooler. So, you know, you would hope that we will we will have some warmer weather coming. And certainly, you know, as you say, that, that back to school thing is a, is a common enough occurrence. It's, you know, it does, it does happen on a fairly regular basis. So maybe, maybe that's something to hold on to hope for, for people that are planning a staycation for, in the next couple of weeks. But the only thing as well is it will vary a lot from, from one part of the country to another. And, and Cork and the south and southeast will actually probably be much more higher chance of seeing spells of good weather because very often the northwest sees the low pressure coming down and while it might be might be raining and you know kind of dull and cloudy in the northwest it can still very often be sunny in the in the south and the southeast so you know if you're staying at home in Cork you probably have as good a chance as, as anywhere in the country of seeing some fine weather I remember years ago many many well maybe four or five years ago when you know when a drop of a hat flights could be got cheaply uh, being so fed up of the incessant rain and wind here uh, and finding a very cheap trip to Tenerife and off we went for two weeks and suddenly Ireland was engulfed in the biggest heat wave for two weeks. Uh, that's kind of the Irish way, isn't it? Anything can happen. But because people are staycationing for the most part this year, not getting those drop-of-a-hat cheap flights, they're just not available. Um, how are, let's say you're taking your holidays next week, last week of July, first week of August, or first two weeks of August, or looking at the month of August in general, how is, how is it looking? It, yeah, it doesn't, look, it doesn't look great, to be honest with you, at the moment. Um, now, as I say, going, going beyond 14 days is really, you know, you're looking at horoscope nearly levels and trying, trying to forecast. So it is very difficult. But at the moment, it is hard to see any kind of settled heat wave conditions. There's nothing really in the reliable time frame at all in the weather models that shows us that. Um, so unfortunately, it's, it's not great news in terms of long, long, longer range. Now, obviously, I'm not, you're not talking about wind and rain every day or anything. There will be bright spells and there will be gaps in, in it. And, you know, like you will be able to get maybe a half a day on the beach and things like that. But unfortunately, that, that Azores high that we all love to hear about doesn't look like it wants to come and visit us at the moment. But maybe, maybe towards the second half of August, we might, we might see some better conditions. So the advice is make the most of today. The pressure drops away quickly tonight. We're going to head into a little more unsettled spell of weather for the rest of the week then and the weekend with spells of rain at times. So the weather's going to start to break down really from Wednesday evening. Thursday's not going to be great. Friday's going to be good, I think. Uh, is going to offer sunny uh, spells with some showers. So it really is a mixed bag. It really is a mixed bag, yeah. It really is. And, and, and as I say, like even it will be localised. So, you know, have a look at your local forecast as well because it will vary from, from area to area. And, and Cork will, will be well poised to get, to get the best of any, any sunshine. Okay, where would you advise people to go generally for weather information? You know, a lot of people wait until after the news at nine or whatever on TV. But if you want to get general information on your phone, is there a good app or is there a good resource online? Um, to be fair to Midair, their their app is very good. Um, there is there's lots of other ones. There's you know there's there's loads of apps out there. The only thing I'd say to you is that you know they will you will see the apps change a lot depending on the weather setup. There's an app called Meteo Blue, um, which kind of gives various different weather models. So it's quite good. And if you put Cork into your location, you can kind of have a look at all the different weather models. And when they're all agreeing, you kind of can be confident in what they're seeing. So Meteo Blue is one that I would recommend. Okay, I, I use XC Weather. What's that like? Yeah, that's pretty good. Most of those apps, like mainly, they use the GFS, which is the US weather model, which is a good weather model. But relying on one weather model is never a really great idea because you could look at it for, for maybe you're making a plan for next week and it looks lovely. 
and then you open up the nap, app the next day and it's gone from lovely to rain very quickly and you wonder how can it change so quickly but that's why if you look at various weather models it kind of gives you a better idea which which one to look at yeah I know that I have I have an app for for sporting purposes because I like to get on the water and people you know play bowls they play tennis people go walking people go hill climbing and, and that's the reason they have a weather app but how does a man like you get primarily interested in weather as as your main uh, concern yeah well funnily enough it was mainly snow my love of snow and trying to forecast snow and trying to look at snow and see will it want it snow so that that's kind of what drove it and then I got a weather station and then it kind of grew from there and then social media meant that I could kind of share that on social media very quickly and you know, it's very good to be able to get information out there quickly. And, and then because I look a little bit beyond the kind of five to seven days, um, people are always kind of looking for hope or looking for trying to get an insight into what's happening. So, Like a fortune teller. Yeah, yeah, maybe, maybe. <laughs> maybe. And people can find you on Twitter and on Instagram. Do you want to give out those addresses? Yeah, just Carla Weather on, on uh, just at Carla Weather on Instagram, on Twitter and on Facebook as well. And CarlaWeather.com then is the website. Brilliant. Thanks a million. Alan O'Reilly from Carla Weather. Uh, get them on Twitter and Instagram. Thank you for your insight into weather today. Cheers, Alan. Thanks, Thanks. bye-bye. Now, a caller says that water has been cut off around Turner's Cross and Ballyfehan and is wondering, does anyone have any more info? So if anybody does, please get in touch. one 104 by text on 86 You can even email the programme, neil at redfm.ie. Now, back in a moment, go back to England and take the virus with you. The follow-up to Rachel's call from yesterday. This is the Neil Prenderville Show. Tweet the show at Neil Red FM. 104 to 106 Red FM. 26 after 9. Good morning. This is the Neil Prenderville Show with Mick Mulcahy. Good morning, Wendy. Hi, Mick. How are you? Very good. Now, you've an English accent, I can tell straight away. <laughs> I do. I do. Strong Yorkshire accent. York, oh, Yorkshire. There's not queer but folk. <laughs> Good try. Good <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm only trying. Uh, you're, you're living here 17 years. I am. Yes, yes. Okay. My husband, yes. We're both English. And yes. does your accent get you a few stares and glares? Um, it, it has done recently, more at the weekend when I was down in Conakilty, yes. Um, we were in a, a shop and, um, yes, you could see people kind of looking at us sideways, giving us a few glares when the old accent came, Yes. But you know something they never did before? Whenever I've been in Timaleague and Kilbritton, Skibbereen, Baltimore, Clannacilty, you always, always hear English accents over the years. Always. It's, always, it's just yeah. now with, with this, you know, suspicion of travelling from a high COVID area, people yes, are getting I a little think, tense. Yeah, I think everyone thinks that anyone with a different accent to an Irish accent is a, a holidaymaker, tourist, you know, um, and maybe... I don't know, Tarana's with the same brush, but obviously there's many different nationalities living here in Ireland, so. Okay, did you notice a lot of uh, camper vans, English registered cars, Northern Ireland registered cars? Yeah, there was a lot of English reg plates. I mean, now they could be from the north, I don't know. They could be coming in from the UK on the ferries, don't know. But yes, I you see them everywhere anyway, but there was definitely a lot more. You would notice it, definitely. Okay. And have you managed to get back to the UK? Do you need to, or are you happy to stay here? Um, no, we we haven't been to the UK since last year. We've had um, three flights cancelled so far this year. We've had family coming here that have been cancelled. Uh, weddings in the UK that we were due to go to have been cancelled, uh, rearranged. Will we go? I don't know. I don't think so. Um, I think at the moment, ourselves, we don't want to travel outside of Ireland. It's just not worth the risk. Definitely not. 
know, I don't think you have to quarantine when you go over, but you still are expected to quarantine here when you come back. You still have to quarantine when you come back, yes. And yeah. For a three-day trip to quarantine for 14 days wouldn't be... Not oh, worth it, really. No, it's not worth it. And it's not just that. It's a health risk, not just for us, for others. You know, we're, we have elderly parents in the UK. We don't want to put them at risk. It's, it's just not fair at this stage, I think. Mm. For And if it's non-essential, why would you go? I mean, is a tan, a suntan, is it essential? No. <laughs> Are you wearing a mask all the time? Um, I am now. I wasn't, I have to say. Um, but I am now. Um, I was wearing one at the weekend don't like it. I don't think anyone likes it. But it's mandatory now, I believe. So I have no choice if I go into a retail situation. Mm-hmm. Would it be fair to say that many people now are COVID responsible, they're COVID aware, they're adhering to the suggested restrictions from NEFET, but that a few mm. people are becoming COVID paranoid? Yeah, I think there is a lot of paranoia out there about it, definitely. Um, I wouldn't say I'm paranoid. I'm trying to do my bit um, and make sure that I don't put anybody else at risk or that I'm at risk. I just think people need to be sensible. All these house parties that are going on, and you can see that there's the rise in numbers um, that I think should be brought under control. I do feel sorry for the um, the pubs that can't open at the moment because obviously they're losing trade. But I just think that there needs to be a a lot more responsibility between us all as individuals. Um, we're an island, so we could stop this. We could clamp it down like they did in New Zealand just by being more aware, more responsible, and and then, then maybe we could stop it. I mean, the World Health, World Health Organization is saying that the pandemic is still growing and it's a very significant concern still. So we just need to just really cop ourselves on. We got a lot of reaction to yesterday's call with Rachel and, and part of your uh, reaction last night on social media was that you can spot tourists without them even speaking. It's so obvious. Please tell us how you do that. <laughs> I just think you can spot tourists with, and it's not being judgmental or, or kind of generalisation on anybody. But, you know, they're, they're getting out of their hire cars or they're there with their cameras thrown over their shoulders. We all we can all spot tourists <laughs> and, you know, definitely... <laughs> Okay, great to talk to you. Thanks very much for uh, your comments and for coming on the air this morning. No bother, mate. Have a good day. Thanks, Wendy. Uh, you can Thanks. call us on one eight five zero one zero four one zero six and text zero eight six eight one zero four one zero six. I hope I get this name right now. Seron. Hello. Yes. Is that correct? That's correct. Yes. Okay. Yes. What's the origin of the name, Seron? It's actually Gaelic for Sharon. Oh, okay. <laughs> Slap on the wrist, me not knowing that. No, no, it's fine. I didn't know that till. You know, it's it's one of those. That's that's kind of what I use on Facebook, anyway. But yeah, I asked during the the newspaper review a rhetorical question as to I, I wondered why the masks weren't enforced in the height of the COVID spike, and I think you'd probably agree, would you? I would. Yeah. I mean, I think it's it's all a little bit too little, too late, in my opinion. And all these rules and regulations are are really kind of starting to, you know. Make no sense in a in a way. I find there's an awful lot of scaremongering. I think people are terrified, and I think it's it's kind of unnecessary to a certain degree. You know, um, I think obviously people need to be responsible for themselves and social distance, etc. But I mean, when you turn on the news and the radio and everything else, and all you hear is you know, worrying trend or second wave, and I'm thinking yesterday there was something like six new cases. You know, um, and I think people are 
you know, people are losing their money, especially the publicans. You know, they're they're losing trades. That's their livelihoods. Um, I mean, people losing money going on holidays. I think whilst our borders are open, to tell people not to go abroad, I think is is just a bit crazy, really. You know. Yeah, I guess we can't fully close our borders uh, because of the Northern Ireland situation. And, of course, and, yeah. and the two different regimes have two different approaches to this virus, which is completely farcical, I think. Uh, but yeah. we, we're going to have to live with this virus for the moment. Uh, I just that's feel that, feeling. you know, we're quarantining people coming in from the UK now, yet we didn't quarantine 1,500 strawberry pickers in the height of the, yeah. of the pandemic when they came in. We're making people wear masks and buses now, but we didn't in the height of the pandemic. And we're making people wear masks in supermarkets now, but we didn't in the height of the pandemic. It's just, exactly. it seems backwards to me. It is, it's gone backwards. And I think, you know, I mean, our numbers now really are, are the lowest they've been since, I'd say March, since it started. And now we're implementing all these things, which, I mean, I understand that, you know, we want to prevent a second wave. But, I mean, when I see some of the comments, especially, it's like people are think that, you know, we can't open up till we've eradicated the virus. That was never the case. We had to lower the curve. You know, at the end of the day, we have to learn to live with the virus. We're not going to eradicate it. It's here, you know, but we can't stop living our lives at the same time. You know, the economy needs to get going because um, th- th- there's a lot of other problems that you see with, with with what's happening as well as, for instance, you know, with the healthcare system. People are afraid to go to the doctors with ailments, you know, um, and people are having their appointments deferred or, you know, chemo treatments cancelled, etc. because of this. And I think that's going to be a much bigger problem than the actual virus itself. You know, I think people are going to end up you know, misdiagnosed or undiagnosed with, for instance, things like, you know, cancer and, you know, problems that need to be treated that people are afraid to go to the doctors for or or can't get an appointment for. And the problem is now that there's so many people waiting for things that there'll be a, a, long, a long wait now to get appointments for certain ailments because once that started up again... Yeah, we ramped up for a, a surge and an overrun of the emergency departments that thankfully... The actions of uh, Tony Houlihan and the general public really put their, you know, their shoulders to the wheel and, and locked themselves in for the most part. And, and we beat the curve and all that. It's, it's notable, though, that outside the Mercy Hospital and apparently within the CUH, uh, those tents and that extra capacity are still standing. Now, I do recognize that in City West, where there was like, I don't know, 1,500 extra beds, I think it was 12 or 14 percent of that capacity was ever used. Uh, so, you know, the facility is still there to yes, cater yes. for a huge surge. And it's kind of telling that these facilities haven't been dismantled yet. No, I mean, I think, I mean, it would be presumptuous to dismantle them because we don't know, you know, I mean, the threats of the second wave. We don't know how bad it would get. Or, But in all realisticness, um, I think when you look back on how... Um, it was at the beginning. We didn't really know much about it. You know, people were kind of going about the merry, uh, going about the merry way, not realizing, you know, the social distancing. Um, we'd heard of it, but it wasn't really an issue here. And obviously, then it kind of took off here in Ireland, and, and there was a lot of cases. Now we're aware. Now we know what we have to do. Um, we know to social distance, we know to kind of wash our hands, wear masks in public, well, the mo- for the most part. I mean, I think it's a bit ridiculous to refuse to wear a mask, to be honest. Just put it on and get on with it, in my opinion. But um, there, but are, think- there are certain areas. Now, I, you know, I, I think shouting at tourists is not only disgraceful, but it's completely unwarranted. 
Um, but as well, there are people who have, uh, you know, dermatological issues. There are people who have claustrophobic issues. There are people who find masks very, very, very hard uh, to wear. Now, yeah. I know these people should probably make every attempt to get someone else to do their shopping, uh, lest they face the wrath of a member of the public who will be shouting at them, put on your mask, don't you care about us? Yeah, and I think it is. Um, yeah, I, I agree with that to a certain degree, but at the same time, um, I mean, when you see the, you know, the, the disposable masks, they're, I mean, it's barely something over your face, really. Wearing one of them, it's not that bad, you know? Um, and to wear it for like 10, 15 minutes to go into the, to, to the shop, it's not like we're asking you to wear it for eight hours. So I think I think that's probably an excuse more than anything, you know, just an, a reason for for people just to go against the grain. But mm. I have a text here from uh, Megan who says, uh, people don't, who don't wear masks are just silly. I work for eight hours, which is nothing compared to nurses, but I only take off my mask for my 45-minute break. I don't complain. Yeah. I know that wearing my mask uh, gives my family a better chance of not contracting the virus. That's from Megan. And I think that's fair. I think people should really kind of take responsibility. And I mean, if you can't wear a mask for 15 minutes for whatever reason, seriously, probably it's better you don't leave the house, you know? Mm-hmm. If, if, if it's for an illness in particular, I would definitely recommend not leaving the house, you know? But I mean, I think what really what bothers me is, is, is the social media and the scaremongering. I mean... My mother, for instance, won't leave the house. I mean, she's petrified. And I understand because it would be probably very serious if she did contract the virus. Um, however, um, it's it, it's the scaremongering that she's watching on, on Facebook, on social media, on the news. And she's constantly saying, oh, did you hear this? You know, it's, it's a lot of young people getting it now. It's, there's a change in trend. And, and I'm like, well, obviously, mum, all the older people are staying in. You know, it's, it seems to be the younger people that have kind of gone out. And, you know, people who are at risk are that's sca- that's, going That out. has to be scaring her. But I have to say, I'm seeing on social media in equal measure the fact that it's all a hoax. You wouldn't know what to believe on social media. Well, yeah, you, you have that as well. I mean, you, you have, I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I believe it's there. I had it. I had the virus in March. Did you? I did, yeah. Can, can, can you tell me how it presented itself and, and how you dealt with it? Um, I was fine. I actually... Um, it started off just like a bit of a, you know, if you're coming down with a bit of a cold, I, it started off with a sore throat, um, like a needle feeling in my throat, and then I was fine for a few days. What other symptoms did you have? Um, and then the fever broke, and I had the most unbelievable aches, like, you know, that flu kind of hurting everywhere. My head was pounding. Um, sore throat? But, but yeah, the sore throat was the first thing. Um, and I had a bad stomach as well with it because um, that's something that you don't see as one of the symptoms. Um, and I know um, a few people abroad who've had it, who've had the same thing, that you know, bad belly. Um, but yeah, I mean, I was fine. Uh, the, the, I think the worst part was was the fever and then the tiredness. I had a good two, two three weeks of just exhaustion. You know, it took me a while to kind of... Were you hospitalised? No, no, no hospitalisation, nothing. I was just taking paracetamol and staying at home, basically. Well, you were you were identified as being positive, yeah? Yes, yeah. In one of the testing centres? Yes, that's correct, yeah. And told to go home and self-isolate and take whatever, paracetamol, uh, and right, see how yeah. it goes, and only go to the hospital, what, if you really need to? Yeah, well, the doctor actually rang me, um, was checking in on me, 
mm-hmm. um, because obviously I, I couldn't leave the house and he, he, they were just asking about my breathing more than anything. I think that was the concern. Um, I never had any problems breathing. Um, I had slight pain in my back all right one time, but that was about it. Um, I didn't have, obviously I didn't have it severe. Now I'm not saying it's like that for everybody. I mean, I'm sure there's cases out there that it's um, it's a, it's extremely dangerous for, but I think for the majority, it's similar to what I had. Um, to be to be fair, I've had worse flus. I've had a worse flu. But Sarah, so, when 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 you're watching the death rates ramping up all over the world, did, is this an uh, an ailment, as I say, a disease, a virus, whatever? Did this condition um, is it something that you bore with confidence or with worry? Um, it's not. I think. You see, my question is, how many of these deaths are actually from COVID or with COVID? So that's my question, because I think there is a lot of cases where, I mean, we're seeing a lot of very elderly people um, passing away um, in the care homes, especially in Ireland. I mean, the majority of the deaths here in Ireland have been over the age of 80. Um, And I think for a lot of these people, um, you have to question, did they die from COVID-19 or did they die with it? Yes. You know, as a result, or or die from something else while COVID was in their bodies. Well, they had COVID exactly, um, and I think because when you look at the trend of people younger dying, it's it's very very slight and it's very rare. But at the same time, a bad influenza could kill a younger person. Sure, it depends on their immune system and how healthy they are in general. Could I ask you one final question, Sarah? And and that is, at what stage were you medically told? that you can go into the community having had the, uh, the virus and not infect anybody else? I was told I had to quarantine for two weeks. But I actually quarantined for over three, um, just to be on the safe side. Okay. And then felt <laughs> um, you, could, you could meet family and friends again? Yeah, I mean, I still, I mean, I stayed away from my mother. I, even after that, I think I, I stayed away from my mother for maybe four weeks. Just to be to be sure, I mean, not until I was back to normal. But my son, who lives in the house with me, didn't catch it at all. Wow, okay. So, um, yeah, so, and I actually have friends. I picked it up when I was in Malta. Um, and I actually have friends, because I, I used to live in Malta. Um, I know seven or eight people in Malta who had it and had all the same symptoms as me. I don't know anyone who even knows anyone in Ireland who's had it, which is strange. Well, you're the first person I've spoken to, certainly on radio, that uh, that has had it. So it's kind of enlightening I, for me. I to yeah, ask you those questions. I don't questions. know anyone who's had it over here. Um, I don't have any friends who even know anyone who's had it here. So it's very strange. Um, but in Malta, I mean, the people that I know have had it have had it very mild. You yeah. know, there's nobody been hospitalised, etc. Well, Sarah, it's, it's been great to talk to you. Thanks for that uh, you know, you, that, that look into the whole yeah I had it yeah, yeah I got through it yeah I was grand but I mean I wouldn't I wouldn't advise going out getting it it wasn't pleasant <laughs> but you know exactly listen thanks a million Sarah you're very welcome and I love thanks the name so thanks a lot bye bye thank you okay. bye bye now the burst water main in Cork we have a statement here on the water outage repairs to a burst water main may cause supply disruptions to Pierce Road Ballyfehan Toker The Lock Tremor Road and surrounding areas in Cork City. The works are ongoing and the works have an estimated completion time of 2 o'clock today. So if you're without your water you may be without it until about 2 o'clock today. But the works have an estimated completion at that time 2pm this afternoon. Call the Neil Prenderville Show now. 1850 104 106 Red FM
And a very good morning to you from the Neil Prendival Show. To line one and to Lynn. Good morning, Lynn. Good morning. Now, go back to England and take your virus with you, was the call yesterday. And uh, we'll take one final caller, which is you on the subject. Uh, Rachel was, of course, understandably aggrieved. Her husband was shaken. Uh, and what, where do you stand on that? You abide by the rules of the country you live in, I suppose, do you? I do indeed, yes, yes. I um, have great respect for any country that I visit and try to make sure that I uh, I abide by their rules. Um, and I arrived here in, um, I have a holiday home in Bandon, and I arrived uh, on the 3rd of March, and when things started to, uh, to kick off, I decided that I was going to stay put. Um, and then when lockdown came, I stayed in the house and uh, I didn't go out for probably over a month. Um, but yes, yeah, I will abide by the country. Mm-hmm. Of course, but you are a citizen, the same as I was a citizen when that happened. Uh, you're in this country. You've chosen not to leave to go back to probably your your permanent residence is in the UK, is it? It is, yes. Yeah, yeah my permanent residence is in um, in Suffolk in the UK. Oh, lovely part of the country as well. Uh, so you chose to stay here. How did you find it? Well, as somebody that's constantly moving around and doing things, um, it was a, having to make a mental shift. So I had to stop the things that I love doing, which is concerts and uh, visiting friends and having parties and travelling around. And I had to do a total re- reshuffle of my life and uh, find some other things to keep me keep me occupied. Everybody had that though. I, like I mean, I, I love going to concerts. I love meeting my friends. I love going to parties. I love travelling around. Everybody had to put that yes. uh, put up with that sort of inconvenience. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, um, it is, I think that's why it's been such a struggle for people to be perfectly honest, because um, we all love doing things and then to be told that we can't do those things and they're not happening and things shutting down. And um, I knew that it was very serious when St. Patrick's Day was cancelled here. And that was you know, one of the sort of biggest um, real wake-up calls to say, yeah, this is very, very serious and uh, I do need to, to stay put. We had, so, we, had uh, the most, so like, uh, we had the most amazing uh, alternative St. Patrick's Day celebration uh, in, uh, in Passage West, in Glenbrook and in Monkstown. When somebody organised, get the kids into your car, uh, you know, there's no mingling, queue up at the, uh, the Cross yeah. River Ferry. And it went on for miles and miles. And they went right through all of the communities and the flags yes. waving out the window. Uh, it was totally safe. Uh, music blaring from some of the yes. cars. Uh, Tim, the, the much-loved local guard, was leading the procession to keep it nice and slow and nice and safe. Uh, and everybody yes. stood out at a, at, at a discreet distance and watched this colourful display. I, I'm not sure whose idea it was, but I know it was championed uh, by our local councillor. Uh, and it, it was just fantastic. And that yes. was just at the start. Yeah. That was only two or three days. Two or three days in into the lockdown. That's right. That's right. Well, Bandon, um, they did something in Bandon as well. The uh, one of the groups in Bandon organised it to start at the church, and uh, um, yes, I went along and uh, and joined in that because I I want to be part of the community where my holiday home is. So um, I do try to get involved very much in in what's going on. Is this the longest period you've spent in Ireland? It is. 
it is yes i think before that five weeks was the longest that uh, that i'd been here so okay. uh, so yes and have you had any verbal or any glares well to be fair no i've had the opposite i've had um when i did venture out i went to local shops and i had my mask and i i made that choice um before it became a mandatory thing because i i tend to do my own personal health risk assessments and i don't need other people to tell me what what i should be doing i know what i should be doing and and i'll do it but um um but yeah i mean people hear the accent and i've had some people say oh you're not from around here um and i say no my permanent home is is england but i've locked down here yeah. And I haven't had any abuse to be fair. Um I haven't I haven't ventured that far, but um the furthest I've been was uh Inch Johnny last Sunday, um when I ventured to uh, go and have uh, a meal in dunes and uh I went with my, my partner here. I actually have an Irish partner and uh, he 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 took me along and it was fab and again I got the oh you're, you're not from here and I said no but I've been here since the 3rd of March and uh, it was real respect that, that I had so everyone I've spoken to has, has respected my decision to abide by the rules of here. Yeah you're not a recent tourist you've been here for many many months that's kind of what you're saying. Yes Yes, um, and I've tried to make myself part of the community. I've been um, my holiday home. I've had four or five years now in Bandon, and I've tried to actually become a part of the Bandon community. And I've been involved in fundraising at local pub, and I'm doing. I'm, I'm currently doing the Arc to Arc 50 kilometer walk to raise money for Arc House because I'm a cancer survivor. So, um, so there's things which are important to me and I recognise that you know there's people here who have similar um, issues and uh, these places are important so And are you aware of um, Lynn, are you aware of people flaunting the rules with, with not isolating yeah, when they come absolutely. to Ireland? You are? Yeah. Um, well only <laughs> I say absolutely um, only from um, hearing what, what people have said and, um, and seeing people's posts going oh well who thinks I'm going to stay in you know if I'm paying my money to come here I'm going to um, I'm going to go out and about and enjoy what I've come for um, I haven't personally because I haven't been that far I haven't actually come across anyone it's, it's literally hearsay in terms of uh, of, of what's what's going on but I, I do I do see the media and uh, um, I try to be cautious because I know there was a whole lot of media around people coming in on the ferry mm -hmm. and it turned out that the photographs were from some other time entirely and it wasn't the day in question that um, that it was happening but I do know um, that uh, there's been a problem okay um, one I, final question Lynn. when when do you expect to get home Ah, well, <laughs> I've had several flights cancelled and things um, that I couldn't do. I have a flight booked for the 15th of August and fingers crossed um, I will be able to go. But I know that um, I, I suppose I could class it as essential because I have a house in England that I need to go mm -hmm. and give some attention to because it's been sitting empty. Um, <clears throat> so I, I would, um, I'm attempting to go, and I know the flights are running, but whether I'll, uh, whether I will get there, and if the situation changes, I will stay put because um, I don't want to cause any problems. And I know that if I go, if I come back again, um, you know, while it's still 
restrictions on, then I will have to isolate uh, when I get back, which I will do if necessary. Uh, so if you go, you'll be coming back, is it? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yes. Okay, are, are, you getting as, are you getting a grow for the place? <laughs> I love it. I wish I could become a citizen, but that's very hard um, to do because you have to stay here for 365 days according to uh, the citizenship requirements. So uh, I didn't know that. Um, that's interesting. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Somebody uh, made some rule up that uh, you have to give evidence that you've, you know, sort of uh, got bills to show and things that you've done, but also for the last 12 months, you have to be there every single day. So uh, Even with an Irish partner, Irish husband or whatever, or is, is, is that yep, irrespective? Yep. It's irrespective. If, even, if, um, even if I was to, to marry an Irishman, um, that would make no difference to the 365-day rule. Um, okay. Yeah, I don't know who decided on that. It's a weird one. <laughs> well, you're, you're a few months in. Can't you get someone to look after your house and stay here altogether? Yeah, yes, that would be. I, I, I do have lots of people there that I want to go and see. And um, I know I've got people listening in England this morning. Um, uh, my friends Tim and Tina, I think, are, um, are, are listening in. And they were meant to come here because they've fallen in love with it too. And they want to come back. But they've had uh, had two trips cancelled. So mm. um, they're, they're fingers crossed um, next year they'll be able to come back again. All right, Lynn. Lovely to talk to you. Um, best of luck with the flight home. Uh, and well done Thank on the you. responsible attitudes you've taken, not only to uh, to staying here for lockdown, but committing to quarantining again if and when you come back. Okay, no, that's absolutely fine. Thanks and a million. Great respect. All Thank the best. You. Thank you. Bye bye. We have a text wondering if uh, in petrol stations that have shops, do you have to wear a mask going in if you're just buying petrol? I think it's in all retail areas now. So if you're going to a petrol station to pick up a drop of juice and you're just rushing in to, to pay the 10 or 20 quid or whatever, I think you still have to wear a mask uh, going in, but we'll uh, we look for clarification on that one. It's three minutes to 10 o'clock. This is the Neil Prendeville Show. We've news at 10 on the way. The Neil Prendeville Show. With Tesco. Save time and shop online. Simply log on to tesco.ie. A couple of texts. I'll get to uh, the rest of them later. 0868104106. Catherine says, this is regarding uh, Rachel and her husband. Well, her husband in particular being shouted at for having a, an English wedge car in West Cork. Can they not just close the airports? Americans are coming over and not isolating. It's ridiculous. All our hard work in lockdown and we had families staying apart. We had no proper funerals or weddings this year. Some businesses are lost now and it's going to be all a complete waste of time and energy. And respect to Rachel and her husband for doing the right thing in quarantining. Sam says, this is my issue with all of these regulations. It's not the idea of the rules themselves. It's that making them mandatory seems to have given people free reign to yell at others on the streets for not following the rules. You're not allowed to abuse people for other things and you never know someone's circumstances. If they're keeping their social distance, live and let live. And Patrick says, we'll do one final one. Patrick says, uh, quite a few Irish have flown off on foreign holidays in the past two weeks alone. If we're that concerned about others coming here, what do we say to our own who are coming back from a sunshine holiday? Will our own be self-isolating? Some of the comments, and there's more to come between now and 12 midday. Now to line one and to Sarah. Hi, Sarah. Hi, Mick. How are you? I'm good. Now, this is going to be kind of a delicate conversation. We can't mention specifics. Um, and yeah. you sent a lengthy email, which I've read. Uh, and fair play to you. You, you, you know, you, you have a very nuanced position here. Uh, mm-hmm. So let's get to the start of it. Yeah, you, you wanted to discuss face masks and company policies. 
uh, and you were told by your manager last Thursday, and please don't mention the store, that you have to wear a mask on the shop floor. What what yeah. happened between the start of the COVID pandemic and last Thursday? Uh, well, basically, I worked through the whole pandemic. Um, this is a store, a pharmacy that had nothing in place when this started, when the country was on lockdown and people were told they could only leave for medicine and for food. Um, we were trading as normal, selling fragrances, makeup, um, electrical items, whatever people wanted, how many people wanted to come into the store wasn't an issue. Um, so, yeah, there was nothing in place. And we, the workers, had to come together, um, especially after the, the Taoiseach had said it on the Friday night, I remember it vividly, um, you know, stores being closed and people stay at home. So the Saturday morning, we had to, there was no manager there, just an assistant manager, uh, carrying on as normal. We had to call a meeting to say, you know, what do we do here? Um, how are we to police this? Um, should we be doing this? This isn't what the government said. Mm-hmm. And she had to get back to us. She had no, uh, there was no memo, no information, nothing for us, no policy in place. Um, and it just carried on. Eventually, we were able to just sell what we were supposed to be selling, um, keep an eye on how many people were coming to the shop. And only, I'd say a couple of weeks ago, things like the, the perspex screening, the floor stickers, all the proper things that should be in place for our safety and customers have only uh, come into the store. So they so weren't there I, like eight, nine, ten weeks ago? Uh, that's I've always asked that. Um, it's just, I feel it's just kind of they're feeling along, uh, stretching us to our limit. There's one store doing one thing, another store doing another thing. They're, um, they're saying, oh, they're going off the HSE government. Uh, it's usually like my boss had a, her phone looking at Facebook, what Duns were doing and Woody's and just it was insulting really and I just didn't feel safe. And we worked through it, very stressed. A lot of people have gone out, like the, the workforce, I think, is roughly 20. I'd say we're down to half. Pharmacists have walked out. Uh, a lot of other people have walked out, not saying under COVID-related things, but with stress. And I knew this was coming. Two other colleagues had to leave. Um, I can't go into their story. Um, they work on the pharmacy side, um, which is crippled. They, they're, they're struggling to, to, to get people, like dispensary to and dispense, in pharmacy. Yeah. Yeah, uh, they're under massive pressure and they had to leave. And I knew my day was coming. Um, there's only a few of us who just, just simply don't want to wear a mask because it's such a big store. We can social distance. Um, we can do the two metre social distancing. Now we have the screens, etc. I've never had a complaint from customers. Um, never had to be brought into the office with attitude. Um, and just, um, yeah, on Thursday, the 16th of July, um, I saw this coming. I'd seen the news the night before um, about mask wearing in retail stores. Um, I knew that it wasn't really, um, you know, the policy and legislation, all that wasn't really um, clear. Um, but I knew Monday that this would, that I would be having a conversation. Yeah. And it happened. I was willing to work on Thursday. I walked up to my position and like, if anything has to be addressed, it's we're calling into the office. It's the smallest of things we have to sign, sign, sign. And this was said to me on the office floor as I was just doing stock or whatever. Uh, sorry, the shop floor. Uh, she put it, um, Sarah, you were watching the news last night. You know now you have to wear a mask. So I asked, could I have this conversation in the office? Because I already had customers, you know, not looking at me. Um, just this kind of a, abuse as well on the floor, mental abuse. And I felt it was getting too much for me. Um, and I just didn't want to be like uh, people's opinion or whatever on the floor, a big discussion. So we headed to the office and um, I said, I'm actually just, I've been caught off guard. I want to be careful what I say here. I'm just very upset. Uh, what do I do? And 
just long story short, she said, well, we're going off what government guidelines are, which I thought was very, it was hypocritical. Um, I felt it was a personal thing um, because there was no policy put in front of me and the way it should have been, a clear instruction of why, reasons why I have to wear it, how to use it, dispose of it, disciplinary action, nothing like that. And I was coaxed into going to my doctor to, to, to go out on the sick. So with that, I went out the back door. How do you mean she you were coaxed into it? Uh, there was no option. She just said, well, if you go to your doctor and she was well able to tell me my um, how many days pay I will get. Your statutory rights, my, yeah. Yeah, you know, I wouldn't really know about claiming and things like that. And all this was actually not sitting with me well because I'm well, I'm not sick, I'm not ill, um, disabled, whatever. I had no reasons to not work. And I had said to her, uh, can I, like, is this really my only option? Because as I said, I'm healthy. I'm willing to work, I'm willing to social distance, like this surely is the last resort at the moment, even until Monday. And I said I was disappointed that we didn't have the conversation to lead me up to it, to see how I felt about it. She felt it was such a sensitive issue, like it's not a political or a spiritual thing, it's just how I feel, my, I feel my humanitarian right. And um, there was nothing, there was no engagement and she backtracked and said, well look, you know what you do, go back out on the floor so and I'll speak to HR. And I, I've been through things before, Mick, and I just thought, you know, I'm not going to put myself in that position. And were you working on the floor or were you working behind a screen behind the, the counter? Uh, yeah, working, out, uh, sorry, behind the screen. It, it varies. Like a lot of my job would entail just behind the screen and serving customers. And then I'd have to go out on the floor yeah. and fix stock and help. But I maintain my social distancing and customers haven't had a problem. We're all well aware of what we need to do now. Mm-hmm. And she backtracked then and said, basically, just go back on the floor that she knew, I feel she knew I was right, that this was inappropriate. It was unprofessional. It was a little bit early. And, you know, it was Monday really I was expecting this. Even the end of my shift on Sunday, I had a whole shift to do, uh, which I'm out of pay for. And I walked out the back door. She didn't really have much to say to me. And I was just ashamed, if anything, because I feel now I have no support. Um, I had no support, first of all, from my doctor. She requested that I have counselling, uh, that I was depressed. And should I take antidepressants, which insulted me again. I just feel I've been gaslighted through all of this. Everything is my fault and put in my hands for me to sort out. Okay, Sarah, hang on. We're we're barreling through this at some pace. So sit back, take a breath. Uh, just relax a small bit because you know, most, most, most importantly, we can't mention any names here. It's live radio. No. Um, so just take a breath for a second. But can I just ask you, um, you must feel like you've been constructively dismissed. Completely. Okay. And I have no support system. Absolutely no support system. I'm basically hiding my house because even in the community with things going on now, I'll either be told, you know, you should be lucky for a job, you've walked out of a job, or why didn't you just put on the mask? This is massive. It's not just a dismissal in my eyes. It's a whole community, my doctor support. I haven't even told my mother about this. It's a shame, I feel. Now I'm angry, as you can hear. Oh, as I can and hear. I have a lot yep. to say. I have a lot to say, and I feel it's a shut up and put up policy all the time. And we don't know our rights. Nobody knows what, what we're doing here. And this was put on me, and I requested my manager to email me the policy or send it to me by the end of the day, please. And I've been asking for this since the pandemic hit. And I didn't even ha- she didn't even have the decency to email me back. So I've been pushed out of there. I uh, texted her this morning. I had to text her because she never gave me her email address. And I said, please, can you get, get back to me with um, policies and um, nothing, nothing back? And I have citizen advice, advice, don't know what to do. And I have a few friends who are supporting me on this. And it's just, it's very upsetting, very stressful. And I just feel I'm being shunned from society, my job, my doctor, all the people that you look to for strength and support.
Okay, now there is a moral obligation on everybody today to wear a mask going into a shop. Yes. Uh, and as such, and I need clarif- I will need clarification on this, I assume there is also only a moral obligation for staff to wear uh, an eight-hour, you know, on an eight-hour shift, a mask That's all right. the time, except on, on your break. In that sense, do you feel that, uh, you know, you, you should have been forced into wearing it on, on pain of your job? Well, that's what I want is made uh, clear to me. She never even said words like Amara, like you have to. Um, never wanted to hear reasons why I don't want. She had said, I know how much you feel about this. I never had a discussion with her about how I feel about masks. I just want to go in and work for the company under their uh, rules, their policies, the mask policy in particular, um, under their, like, and even the, the, the disciplinary. I wasn't even given a disciplinary action, be it a warning a letter, something just to, to have me feel what, you know, what I'm doing, direct me in what I'm doing here or what's going on here. So me to put it on morally, you're asking me to put it on, is it? Or just to... No, I'm, I'm just saying you, you have a moral obligation a moral. as a shopper to put one on as from shopper, today. Yeah. I, I'm unsure where, where you stand from a worker's point of view. Yeah. But if, if there are no legal requirements yet in place, yes. they are in train. They're not signed off yet. They're not in place. Yes. Uh, I'm just wondering what exactly is the worker's standpoint? Uh, ca- can a worker under any existing legislation be told you must wear a mask or you don't work? Yeah, that's what I'm asking. So you can hear by me. I'm confused. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm very confused uh, about everything with this, how I feel, what they're saying. Like they're, they're so vague about what they're saying to me because they have nothing. They have no policy there. They have, uh, like, they ran with, especially the date, it was Thursday, the 16th of July. This, this was, if it was Monday, I'd feel the, the argument. I wouldn't be writing to you. I wouldn't feel I'd have as much of a voice. But I had a whole shift to do. And this was put to me on the floor. You need to wear a mask. Okay, what, is, is, what, what is your situation now? You, you can't um, go back to work. No, I can't go back to work because I, I, I don't want to wear a mask. And I... I don't know what my rights are and they're not coming back to me about their policy even that I'm trying to respect as a worker, uh, regardless of my religious or spiritual or political beliefs. I'm just trying to do what's right here. I'm just trying to establish I'm a well-bodied woman wanting to go and turning up for work, aware of the, the, what's going on in the country, country practicing my social distancing, um, doing all the things that I'm supposed to be doing. And I'm just uh, basically not wanted in my job. Okay, so you were dismissed or did you walk out? See, that's what I don't know. I was left, like the conversation couldn't go any further. I was being coaxed to go to the doctor. I was being told I can't go on the floor and I have to put on a mask. I was just trying to say, do I have to wear a mask? I don't want to wear a mask. So, yes, I walked out the back door, not even the front door, and that was it. Okay. So, is it I walked out? I, I didn't resign, I didn't, or quit. I didn't even shout all things, you know, political or religious. My, my, my opinion on mask wearing, well, I suppose I do have an opinion. I just didn't want to. I had no option but to put on a mask. And okay. I've worked through all this. Uh, there's been, as I explained, there's been so many stress. But like, it's, it's fine for people to comment unless you're in the retail, the retail industry. It's, we're, we're amongst all this craziness every single day from the real crazy times. to It's actually getting worse. You know, the abuse is coming out from people from all sides. We're all divided on it. Um, and it's just, it's very upsetting. And it, I think there's going to be so many more people who are working in the shops and they are stressed. They don't even realize they're stressed because they have to 
keep up with the narrative. They have to keep up with do this, do that. And my gut is telling me this is wrong, so it is probably wrong. Okay. And I don't know where to go legally. I have don't know where who to turn to to speak to. And obviously, I'm very upset. I've a lot to say, and I'm being shut up all the time. So you have a sick note now from your doctor. This has been handed. I have a sick note. This has been handed to your employer. Please don't mention the name of your employer. No, um, I won't. And and you met with your manager yesterday morning to give it to her, uh, and yes. brought a colleague as a witness. I brought a colleague as a witness because there's always backtracking, um, you know, being being vague about things, kind of read between the lines. Just basically, I wanted her to interpret this as well that I've been left with no option. I'm not being given even simple things that I I'm entitled to, as in a written. Even just from herself, we have a big office and computer systems and massive, you know, HR and everything. And since February, it's not even yesterday I put this on her. I've been asking for some kind of policy or some um, handbook uh, to show the new trading, the way we're trading now, the what we can do is in policing the store. Who can police the store? Has she a right to police me? You know, it's just, I'm not getting anything. And I just, I, that's why I needed a witness, because I'm, I'm, I'm questioning myself. But my gut is telling me I've done nothing wrong here and I shouldn't feel like this. And I certainly should have got a better support system for my doctor than to be told you need to go on antidepressants and you need counselling. This isn't right at all. Okay. There's a lot of questions unanswered here, here Sarah. Um, You are where you are. You have a doctor's note. Um, Mm -hmm. I I don't know whether to advise you to take legal advice or not or to go back and try Mm -hmm. and sort it out with the company you work for. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, you're alleging that they were following other guidelines rather than taking a proactive approach. Uh, yeah. You know, which which I I can't uh, verify or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm you know, and I'm sure as a responsible company they were doing their best. Maybe you saw it differently, but uh, it is a fact that other stores or many many stores took proactive approaches very early on as regards perspex and distancing. As regards mm-hmm. whether you had to wear, as regards whether you had to wear a mask uh, mandatorily. Uh, mm-hmm. Morally or legally, um, we still have to verify. No, it's not legal at the moment for shoppers. Uh, I'm not absolutely 100% sure as to whether it was legal uh, for the, your manager to ask you to wear a mask uh, for the full length of your working day. Uh, just hang mm-hmm. on a second there. We've got Seamus in line five. Hi, Seamus. Okay. Hi, how are you doing? I'm in total support of that, that caller, Sarah, there. Someone with a bit, a bit of a courage and intelligence to ask questions that nobody else asks because we're in a draconian state at the moment. Where people are are like uh, like experimental rats acting like sheep. No one, no one is uh, brave enough to ask the question why and what and how. It, you know, and, and is there any other better way of doing it? Like it's just it's, it's become ridiculous now. These are black girls who actually seek legal advice because as long as there's no law to say that she has to do something, she has a case. It's as simple as that. But well, maybe she prefers really to have a advice. job. Uh, maybe, yeah, but like it's, it, look at the state of the, of the draconian measures and the state that, you know, the state of the place itself, the government haven't a clue what they're doing. Uh, Michal Martin's flying to Brussels to ask his boss, what should I tell my people? Well, they, to be they, fair, they, no, Michal Martin's in Brussels negotiating a rescue package which has come in at 1.82, uh, 1.82 trillion, uh, or 1.182 trillion. It's huge. Yeah, while his colleague falls asleep in the doll during a key doll vote. I mean, it's it's all just ridiculous. And the guy travelled to Europe with a 14% poll rating from the people. He doesn't have much credibility because they know that they won't be talking to him as a representative of Ireland in the next couple of years. So, you know, we do look like a bit of a farce of a country when you look at what other countries are doing at the moment. The mere fact that that girl is asking the question says it all and getting nothing back 
is because at the very top of the chain, they don't have a clue what they're doing. They're asleep at the wheel and have been for a long time. And that's, it's proven. Exactly. You know, the recommendation should be that if people have ailments, it's not law, so there should be, rec- re- you know, recommendations that if people have serious ailments or, you know, serious health conditions or issues that might adversely affect them should they catch or contract COVID-19, then it's highly recommended that they wear masks. You know, making everybody wear a mask and using a draconian measure such as the two and a half thousand euro fine and or six months imprisonment, mm-hmm. you know, for refusing to wear it on the bus is absolutely ridiculous. Not to mention that there's no, there's no scientific proven fact that all of this stuff works and the rules are changing as the day goes by. And there's so many you different know, masks. There are, there are cloth masks, there are fiber masks, yeah, there are sure, one-use disposable masks. Mask are useless. They are useless. It's a yeah. proven scientific fact that they are useless. So unfortunately, this has exposed Irish people in general as like a herd of sheep in a field. That's effectively it. Nobody, like we're all waiting for the ones to turn around and say, hang on a second, can this be done differently? You know, why are we doing this? Is it going to work? Where's the proof that it's going to work? Why are our neighbours uh, dishing out £100 fines for not wearing a mask, but we have to, we have to be subjected to a draconian measure from a government that are literally asleep at the wheel, as we saw with Eamon Ryan, that are up to their old uh, antics, clean of all antics, as we saw with Ryan, um, uh, Barry Cowan. I mean, this is the, you know, all this crap filters from the top. I mean, you look at the top, you have to ask yourself questions. Are they really in charge? Are they really, you know, leading this the right way? And clearly they're not. So all right, Seamus. a woman like that, that caller, you know, asking the right questions, it's good to hear and more people should be doing it. Great stuff, Seamus. Thanks a million. Uh, we'll finish uh, with a couple of questions for Sarah just to finish. Uh, Sarah, because, because you've handed in a sick note now, mm-hmm. you, you know, isn't that kind of admitting that you haven't been dismissed, that you're just off sick? I don't know anything. I yeah. just... Um, we we I, did like, what you were advised to do, is that right? Yeah, and I just want to add to that as well. Um, you know, me feeling that this is my fault, there's something wrong with me. And I know in my gut feeling and what I've been brought up to believe, that I remember an incident in, in this pharmacy, um, I think about two years ago, <clears throat> about taking, um, this might be going off the point, but this is again, <clears throat> that I don't know my rights and I feel bullied as well, about taking um, the seasonal flu vaccine. And I said, no, thank you. And I've called a hippie. Okay, we've overrun by a lot of time, Sarah. I'm going to have to leave it there, but we will come back to the topic and we're going to try and get an employment lawyer on to talk about it. Someone uh, in, you know, a solicitor who has employment Mm -hmm. law experience, maybe to bring some clarity to that situation. All right? That would be great. Thank you. Thanks for everything, Sarah. Cheers. Bye-bye. The Neil Prenderville Show on Twitter at NeilRedFM. 26 minutes to 11. Good morning. This is The Neil Prenderville Show. Michael, good morning to you. Hello. Hi, how are you doing, Michael? I'm good, thanks. How are you? Not too bad. Now, your wife works in a hospital pharmacy. She does. She does. And, yeah, I, I, like I was saying in my message, she has been wearing um, a mask all the time. Um, okay. She doesn't like um, But, you know, it's for, the, it's for the common good. It's what we've been advised to do. Um, so she does it. And she's been doing that voluntarily or has it been company practice? Well, I guess it's it's what they were asked to do. Okay. So they do it. I mean, I I suppose in that lady's situation, for, for whatever reason, if she doesn't want to wear one, I would imagine her best advice, I know she, she walked out. She, it doesn't sound like she was dismissed. Um, but maybe if she had stayed on the floor without a mask. And yes, and if, if, went, if she was allowed to, but that didn't seem to be the case. But if she walked out on the floor and without a mask, 
then she'd see what her next step was. And then if she's asked to leave the floor, well, that's a different story. But it sounds like she she walked out. Yes, that's why I asked her that particular question. Do you feel like you've been dismissed or did you walk out voluntarily? Yeah. She kind of really didn't even know that. Yeah, yeah. It, that, no, of course, when you're in a situation like that, it, you know, your head is, is all over the place, obviously. But, you know, it just, it seems to be best advice is wear a mask. Um, I mean, I know you've, you've a lot of people saying it's this theory and that theory and they want to make us sheep and all this kind of old stuff. You know, it's, it's for the common good. Uh, we wear masks. Uh, to try and prevent the spread of COVID. Um, if for medical reasons you can't wear a mask, that's fine. I think other than that, you know, you should wear a mask. Mm-hmm. Particularly when you're in constant contact with other people. Um, I suppose one thing that, that I was kind of, I always found strange is we, we were asked to wear masks going into supermarkets, uh, but yet the staff weren't wearing them. To me, it makes a lot more sense if the staff are wearing them as well, particularly when they're on the floor. If you're a staff member at a till, that's different. They've got screens between them. But if you spend time on the floor, it would make sense that you'd wear a mask. Yeah, I was in two different supermarkets yesterday that I would be used to going into. And mm. all of these staff behind the tills were now wearing masks. Uh, they are still really? behind screens. They were behind screens for many months. But uh, they're yeah. now wearing masks that... Uh, they hadn't been wearing before, and uh, that was in two separate supermarkets. 100% of the staff were wearing masks, those on the floor and those behind the tills. You see, like my thoughts on it, Mick, are um, some people think they work, some people think they don't work, some people don't know whether they work or not. So let's err on the side of caution. Even if they don't work, it's not going to do you any damage. So why not wear a mask? Yeah, it's not going to do any harm. No, no. Now, again, unless you've got a medical condition, of course, that's a different story. Some people have sensory issues. They can't wear them. Some people might have respiratory issues that they find it hard to breathe anyway. Of course, they shouldn't wear masks. But for the common good, let's all err on the side of caution. Let's presume they will do some good and wear a mask. And this nonsense about us being sheeple and, and following the crowd, and it's nonsense. It's complete nonsense. Just wear your mask. Okay. They're becoming ever more prevalent. You'll see people walking around in the outdoors now with masks as well. Uh, but they are, you know, 90% of people going into supermarkets now wearing masks. It looks like, to me anyway, 100% of the staff are now wearing masks. They can be very uncomfortable. So fair play yeah, to those who, who have to put up with it for eight or nine hours a day. Absolutely. Look, I mean, my wife comes home and, and her face is a little bit sore from it. She said her skin is, is not in good condition sometimes uh, because of it. But she has to do it, you know. It's and you know she's she, she's not just somebody who's just told what to do, so she'll do it. She knows that it'll it'll probably help uh, in the cause of you know trying to get rid of COVID. And you know, people who watch YouTube and say they got scientific facts that they don't work, that's where you mask. Okay, fair play and fair play to her. Thanks, Michael. All right, thanks, Mike. Cheers. Bye bye. Uh, we'll take another couple of uh, of texts on the uh, Rachel incident yesterday, or which happened over the weekend to her husband. Lynn said uh, she respects the rules of the country where she lives. Fiona says, I met an American who told me uh, he was just off a flight and was shopping in the same supermarket as me. He had no mask. I wouldn't have dreamed of abusing him, uh, but I felt shocked. The government are allowing flights in and out. Nicola says, at least this woman quarantined herself. Fair play to her. There's no harm in her visiting if she sticks to guidelines. There are plenty of Irish people holiday in England and in Spain right now. And Teresa says, this is pure ignorance. On the other hand, 
I really think people should not be travelling to or from Ireland. The government should have the gumption to make this mandatory. They won't because they're protecting aviation companies who won't have to make refunds if it's left up to people to decide not to travel. They are also afraid to ban American tourists because of the American companies and all the money they spend and invest here. Dublin was thronged with Americans at the weekend. Now, a change of subject. David's on line two. Morning, David. Good morning, mate. Now, you were, you were wondering what is the fascination with the pedestrianisation of all our streets. Yeah, well, I, 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 I can say wrong, but you're a real, you love your city. Absolutely. And, 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 and Neil loves the city, and we all love our city. But, like, um, our, what the city council are proposing and doing, like, uh, we're, we're kind of turning the city kind of into um, a cosmopolitan kind of a... Barcelona-type city or Madrid. Like, I, I honestly believe that when Americans and European people come here, they come here, they come here to see the cock culture and to see cock as it is like. We do, I personally don't want to be to be like Barcelona or any of the big European cities. Now, I drove down. Um, I went into the English market on a Saturday morning and I went to the park in Tucky Street at the side of Bishop Lucy Park and it's closed. There wasn't a single car at, at eight o'clock on Tucker Street, not one. And it's, it's, there's a sign there saying pedestrianised area only. And there are four blue disabled badges or parking bays there. And there's a sign up saying disabled bays have been moved to the South Main Street. So you know, you know, can turn from the Grand Parade onto, onto the South Main Street to get over to the, maybe to the, the Western Road. You can go down by Singer's Corner, can't you, and go around that well, way? Well, you can, yeah, but if you're, if you're going to the English Rocket, you're going, beyond, you're going beyond that point, well, then you'd have to go all the way around again in a yeah. different direction. Like. Well, what about Princess and Street? Then, that's heavily pedestrianised now. Well, yeah, that's right. And, well, well, and even during, this, during the lockdown there, like, or not the lockdown, but, I mean, the, the Patrick Street band there, like, Coke Street and Marlborough Street, where I walked in town there, I went town there, and they were actually closed. And there's probably and Pembroke Street at the moment. Is I went down then on Sunday morning for a drive around town, and Pembroke Street at the side of the Imperial is closed. It says the same thing. Disabled bays have been moved to the South Mall, and there are four bays outside the, outside the Imperial Hotel. So that's eight blue spaces have gone. Mm-hmm. Now, what are they doing with uh, Tuckley Street? What's going in there? Uh, what are they doing with Pen- Pembroke Street? I don't know what they're doing with them. They wouldn't be as heavy restaurant streets now as, as Princess Street would, would they? No, but uh, not really, no. And uh, I would, no, but uh, there's no kind of, um, there's no kind of uh, nothing on, 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 the, on the echo or anything or, or from the city council as to what's happening with them. They just said pedestrianised area only. And there was a photograph there recently and they go on the corporate streets as to how it will look when they're, when they're going to widen the footpaths on the corporate street. I mean, there's, it's narrow enough as it is. And uh, Corbuck Street has been changed around and like the whole city has been turned into like a, a Barcelona type city, which but, I don't think. I, I, I prefer to have our own culture and stick to our own way, you know what I mean? Well, I'd, I'd rather have wider pedestrian areas and outside seating on McCurtain Street and to have it thronged with the traffic it's suffering at the moment and has been for many years. And you have I mean, to... Like, but sure, I, I think they're making McCurtain Street two-way. So, but, but even at the moment, it's one way. So and but there's like there's the left lane and the right lane going down, and it's narrow enough for two for two for two for two cars. Sure, if they're going to widen the footpath, maybe by eight to ten feet, it's not going to be it's not going to leave much room for uh, 
for two cars to go up and down. I think but, it, it, I'm not know. sure it's going to be one way or two way, but I think by they, by widening the footpaths, they'll they'll take away each of the parking bays on either side. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's right. And like we are, we also have um, an awful lot of what well, the cycling all over the city, and I've been town a lot, and uh, I could count on, I could count, come home and count on one hand the amount of bikes I see. Um, I think what's lacking in Patrick Street, big time. But I think back in the 60s and the 70s, there were probably four or five pubs in Patrick Street. No, we have one. Into the chateau. There's a lot, lot more pubs than that I, I, back I, in the 80s. There, there was something like access from Patrick Street to 30-something pubs, if you count yeah, well, the laneways as well. But, but David, you, ha- you have to, you know, this increased capacity for the restaurants on Princess Street uh, allows them to at least try to return to normal levels of footfall. Um, but by using those parking spaces to allow people to sit down, uh, you know they couldn't operate their restaurants internally uh, with enough social distancing to make a profit. Yeah, yeah. So they're using the outside, and no one's saying it's uh, permanent. I think it's only a temporary measure. Yeah, but I mean, so like, I don't think there's any restaurants in Tokyo talk, talk Street. So what, like, what, what's happening with Tokyo Street? Uh, Where is it closed off? No, mm. there's no reason. But uh, you know, and even like. What really is annoying me at the moment is the amount of, I've seen in the Echo there and in the past two weeks, the amount of student accommodation that's been built in the city, as if we haven't enough at the moment. Like you have a new, there's one being built in the North Main Street, there's one in the South Main Street at the moment that hasn't opened yet. What's happening to the the street across from the Nanonagel Bridge, which is the one between the Metropole Hotel and uh, the old PGO Hayes, between Patrick's Quay and McCurtain Street? That, uh, That would make a nice Saturday, Friday, Saturday market. But it just seems to be permanently closed now. Or is it open to pedestrians yeah. at this stage? I think it's open to pedestrians. I think is it? it is, yeah. But, like, I think like that there's a lot of homeless people in the city. There's a lot of young couples leading houses. And all this, there's, there's about 10 new student accommodation blocks uh, nearly built are coming on stream in the next two years. And, I mean, like, you can imagine the drinking in town when all these places are open in two years' time. Is that enough at the moment? Like, yeah, I just got a text that, that uh, David, that Tucky Street has a dangerous building nearing collapse. So maybe that's a contributing factor to not allowing uh, traffic to go through there. Yeah, but any, like, uh, well, I'd imagine in about two or three years' time, Mick, that um, Patrick Street will probably be like a ghost town because uh, Neil said there recently that the rent on Debenhams, rent only, you know, rent alone, was over three million a year. Wow. I mean, that's astronomical. And that's also, and then there's the rates. And then there's your insurance. I actually don't know how the shops at Patrick Street. Now, I know there's five or six shops closed down at the moment in the last, two, uh, the last five or six weeks. So uh, uh, going on these figures, you would imagine in the next two or three years that a lot more, shop, a lot more shops in Patrick will be closed and the place will be like a ghost town. Which may be the reason which, why which, which, the which city I'm, fathers want it to be a more bohemian experience when you come to town. Because if there's going to be less retail... And it's going to have to be hospitality, and that means putting seats on the street. Well, that's about the fact. You know, simply our main street, Mick, don't have any restaurant or Patrick Street. We have Abracadabra, a fast food outlet. We probably have McDonald's on Dawn Square, there on the corner. But there's actually no restaurant on our main street as such. Yeah, but maybe but, making but, it more bohemian is what I'm saying. will bring those restaurants and hospitality yeah. factors back to the street. Dave, thanks for the call anyway. Pedestrian nice streets. Thanks a million. You can call us on 1850 104 106, text 8104 106, and email neil at redfm.ie. 
Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 1851-04106. Red FM. It's 11 minutes to 11 o'clock. Peter says, I'm more worried about the outbreak of mass hysteria and paranoia in Ireland than the actual COVID virus. Annette says, people need to stay at home if they can't understand where the Irish people are so annoyed with tourists coming into our country, putting us at risk, especially when our movements abroad are restricted and Irish people are losing money hand over fist from not being able to go on their holidays because they are abiding by the non-essential travel rules. In reality, it's only the minority that are going to self-quarantine after holidays away. People aren't coming to Ireland to stay indoors for two weeks, and we've only have their word for it if they are. I blame our government for allowing this, not the people coming here. Shauna, good morning. Hello, Shauna. Hello, how are you? Hi, good. How are you? Not too bad. Now, you're a student. I am indeed. I actually, is this that gentleman there that was on the phone that's talking about the student accommodation around the city? Like saying how there's loads of apartments being built and stuff. And I, like, I 100% agree with them because I see it myself. There's always blocks of apartments being built. But the one thing he's actually forgetting to mention is majority of students can't even afford those accommodation. They're way too expensive. Like you do have students living there but not the average working student who's paying for fees and has a part-time job. Like, there's no way. Like, there, I don't know the actual figures at the moment, but, like, I remember last year I was looking up apartments in Cork out of curiosity to see could I move out and see what they cost. Unless I start myself for a year, then I could afford to live there. Like, they're way too expensive. So they're, I, I don't know the idle or whatnot who's actually in them, but they're... They're building all these apartment blocks and they're not actually able to accommodate like your average working student. So it kind of defeats the purpose of having them. Yeah, so the market price the market price for an, a full school year in one of these apartments, now that's excluding the summer. I suppose it's an eight-month yeah. or nine-month term, is it? Yeah. Will it be, yeah. So you What's that running at? Four, four to six thousand euros? Easily, easily. Like you think that's have a college fees and then like you have then like, like even when you're in college you always have to buy like, I don't know, books and all that. Like, that all adds up. Like most students, like we, we, like thankfully, I think most of us kind of get through it. But like you are a penny pension, you know, you're not able to go. I'm going to go off there for holiday for a month. Like you can't do that. Like everything has to be pre-planned. So like even accommodation, like I think most students end up just staying on the lakes of you know like renting house to that landlords and whatnot because it does work out cheaper. But then you're not living in the greatest. Not all. Like some of the girls I know live in beautiful houses around Cork, but majority like you do live in not the best of places, like, because it's cheaper and whatnot. So, like, those apartments are gorgeous. Like, I've been into them before, but there's no way you could... Like, it's, it's, it's a frustrating when you hear it because, like, it's, to me, it's a bit of a waste of space because they're building it and then you're not actually able to house people who could potentially move in there. So it's like, why are they there? It's like okay. a money racket, basically. And what's the, uh, the standard for students these days? Five, six, seven, eight sharing a house? Easily, yeah. To be fair, like, you do, like, you do see a lot of houses like I base off my own mates who aren't from Cork and who live up in the city. Like you, not all of them now, some of them are in like amazing houses, but some of them you can see that it's, there's bedrooms that are, that were, let's say like, I don't know, even a bathroom that got blown out and made into a bedroom. Like they're absolutely tiny. So you'd have a house that would normally maybe be like four people in a house, like a normal family. You would then see around maybe seven or eight bedrooms in a house. They're squishing beds in anywhere they can, like Mm-hmm. Are there students sharing rooms as well as sharing houses? Um, you can. Like, it works out cheaper. Like, I had friends up in Dublin who were doing that because it was actually way cheaper. Um, and they were happy to do that. But, like, personally, me, that would drive me up to be daft because if I was in college, you come back, you just want to just chill out. Like, you don't want to be sharing a room with someone. Mm-hmm. But 
I know people that do, but not in Cork. But you definitely can in Cork, like. But I just know people up in Dublin that do it because I say Dublin is even more expensive to be living in as a student, like. Yeah. So what? What are you? What kind of level of rent are you paying now? Um. Well, I'm not actually living home at the moment, like. But I will be moving out in the college term. Like, I'd be paying like around ninety. 90 a week for me which is actually unbelievably good and um, like that's really really that's actually an absolute steal to get something like that but I have friends who were living in houses around around college like around UCC and they were paying like one one forty for a box room that you like there's one my mate if we went into her room we'd actually have to stand on the bed to close her door it was that small like wow. it was absolutely standing on the bed to close the door basically and there was a window the window was on the ceiling and there was no blind or anything like you know it's that's why you're frustrated when I see all those accommodations being built because they're gorgeous and you could house people in them. Like I'd love to go into them. I'd I wouldn't. I'm not a troublesome person. Like I'd actually go to college and do my do my best. Like so it's frustrating when you have to pay something to live in a matchbox when you could live somewhere that's actually safer, cleaner, and just just nicer as well. Like peace of mind that you know there's security guards in those accommodation and whatnot. So it's a wasteful. It's, it's a wasteful space. They're filling these apartment blocks and you can't even house students in them, like normal average working students. Mm-hmm. So where, where do you go from here? How many years have you left? Uh, I've two years. I've, I'm, I'm doing a master's now at the moment. So I'm doing secondary school teaching, the PME. And I'm starting that in August, September. September, I'm going back. Um, and yeah, that's two years left. So I'm done after that, thankfully. Well, the very best of luck to you and hope you Thank find you. something nice at a reasonable hopefully. price as well. <laughs> Hopefully, hopefully. All right. Thanks a million, Shauna. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That is Shauna, student on the Neil Prendival Show. Now we have, speaking of bad value, uh, two nights in a hotel in Galway in September. Uh, this is from one of the popular booking sites and the Galmont Hotel, G-A-L-M-O-N-T, was uh, priced and is here for two nights for two adults for €810. Euro. €810. What are we becoming in this new reality? Uh, and let's bid good morning to Patrick. Hi, Patrick. Hi, Mick. How are you? Good. You're well? Yeah, I'm good. Now, you want to talk about American tourists in Ireland? Well, yeah, I mean, just basically just listening to everybody coming on there and everybody's complaining, you know, we say, for example, that you've got the American tourists in and you've got English tourists in and people meeting American tourists and stuff like that, right? What is the point of us bringing in a law stating that when they come into our country that they have to self-isolate when they're coming from a country that's got a very, very high R reading and stuff like that? And why have the guards not got power to stop them, right? Ask them for the ticket when they arrived in our country. And if they haven't self-isolated, I mean, we've, the, the, the country, I suppose, us as people, have all paid for the City West Hotel till the end of December. I mean, and if they don't abide by the rules that they're told coming into Shannon Airport or whatever airport they're coming into, they should be detained for the, for the rest of the holiday and sent back two weeks later. Detained in City West or detained where? In the city west. I mean, hasn't the government taken that over till December? Mm. Oh, yeah, they have, yeah. Wouldn't it, just be, I mean, wouldn't it be easier just, just to send them home? Well, I suppose, yeah. I mean, but then we'd have to pay for it. Okay, so you mean detained them till the end of their holiday or detained them for two weeks? Detained till the end of their holiday and brought to the airport. Bye-bye. Yeah. I mean, like, I mean, they're walking. I mean, I heard of a story of a girl that was down in Killarney and she was queuing up with an ice cream truck and there was four Americans behind her. And um, she just chatting to one of them. Oh, do you live here? And they said, no, we arrived last Friday. Wow. So obviously so, not, I mean, obviously not self-isolating. Not at all. And from, yeah, the, from a huge, anything. huge COVID hotspot. 
Yeah, exactly. And the same with what you call it. I mean, you know Spain is growing again there now as well. And I mean, myself and yourself now could head up to Cork Airport, jump on a plane, fly over to Malaga, have a point, come back, but we can't go to Patrick Street now. Yeah. That does seem a bit ludicrous, right, doesn't it? Absolutely. There's just, it's a, they don't have a clue what they're doing. I mean, I mean, they're bringing in, changing rules, masks, no masks, yes, masks. I mean, I passed the bus yesterday and then 70% of people didn't have them on them. 70%. I, th- I thought did it was mandatory on, on pain of fine not to No, they, 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 they didn't have them on. Unless they were down around their necks. Okay. You know, we say they put the mask, the mask is still on their body, but I mean, it's not over their face. Not over their face. I don't know. I mean, I don't know what people think about that. I mean, I don't know. Is it a stupid comment to say that, I mean, if the Americans do come in, that they should be detained. But I mean, why make these laws and rules if you're not going to enforce them? Yeah, or can they be enforced? Who's going to enforce them is the, is the bigger question. Well, like, like, I mean, if there's guards around, I mean, it's it's simple. I mean, people just call a guard station. Look, I mean, I don't know whether they're going to bother coming out or not. That's but I mean, if thing. that's the case, that's the thing. If that's the case, then what is the point of all yeah. this? Make sure that any hotel that takes them in that if they are out and about, that the hotel is in breach of um, sure. law or wherever they're staying. Patrick, I mean, th- thanks for the call. Got to go, but thank you no very problem. much. Fine. News at 11 on the way. 104 to 106 Red FM. This is the Neil Prendeville Show. And we'll be hearing from Neil Prendeville himself in a moment. Just want to get to this email first, if I can. Uh, Hi, Mick. I know how much you love to big up the businesses that are reopening around Cork. And I know that you speak fondly about y'all, so I wanted to tell you about us. My friend and business partner, Anna Troy, and I opened a vintage clothing shop in y'all. We were part of a collective which has been in the town for almost 12 months. We joined the group with our vintage clothing in mid-February, six weeks in, and things were going so well when we had to close on the 24th of March due to COVID. We were absolutely devastated. It was so tough on us. And then halfway through lockdown, the other members of the collective decided they didn't want to reopen the shop when things were due to open up again. There were tears shed, but we dusted ourselves off and Anna and I were determined to get back into the shop. So we spent the last three months bringing together a whole new group of people and we've come up with a new group, the Wildflower Creative. It is made up of ourselves, who are vintage clothing sellers, uh, artists, crafters, makers, designers and all local people from East Cork. So well done to you all. The official date to reopen is the 21st of July and lo and behold, that's today. We would love a shout out to promote the Wildflower Creative. Uh, So there you go, guys. We've worked so hard in the last couple of months to get this up and running and we are super excited to reopen in a couple of weeks. Well, this is an email, of course, is a couple of weeks old. But we do, of course, uh, try to get the timing right on this. And they're opening today. So, uh, and of course, you're always welcome, you and Neil. Thanks a million. Uh, That is from Katie Sloan. So well done. And another business that's put in Trojan work in uh, trying to reopen uh, and have waited a little longer than most uh, of the bars that are serving food uh, would have to be the Boson in Monkstown. And I know we spoke to Daniel from the Enzyme in Monkstown yesterday. But just to remind people... Uh, that finally the bosun is reopening in about 50 minutes' time at 12 midday. Uh, it is advised to make a booking. Uh, all of the social distancing and uh, health training and, uh, you know, the, the COVID necessary training has been done with both staff and uh, we'll be, uh, will be sanitised, sta- sorry, customers will be sanitised on the way in as well, I'm told. So they're opening today. It's the largest employer in Monkstown, to my knowledge. So well done to all at the Bosun and uh, they're opening as well for service today. So best of luck to all of them. Now, last week, Neil spoke to Robbie 
who told him about his flesh-eating disease and how it almost resulted in the loss of his leg. And I know that Neil wanted to get to this before he went on his holidays, but we're happy to play it for you now. So we're back to Neil Prendival talking to Robbie and how Robbie almost lost his leg. Robbie, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How are we doing? Can I we rewind the clock back to, uh, is it round about this time 12 months ago, was it? Uh, yeah, it would have been just over a year ago now. Okay. So and in July of last year. July of last year, you had a tiny cut by one of your toes. Thought nothing of, of, of it. I certainly wouldn't have thought anything about it. Um, no. But it got acutely worse very, very quickly, didn't it? Uh, yeah, it was a case of I didn't notice the cut at all. Um, and we'd say that was on a Friday. I returned home from holidays. Um, Friday evening, the pain was unbearable. Um, Saturday went to South Dock because it, it didn't feel like it was there was a I didn't see any cut to to get that point out I never even noticed that there was one mm. um, and South Dock were in the impression that it was goat so obviously I just took their advice they gave me uh, steroids and an injection for pain um, I came home it was getting progressively worse um, and I'd say Sunday morning then I was up all night we'd say that night with the pain and Sunday morning I couldn't breathe and I was sick as well as the pain so i was like something is wrong here and now a so normal foot had swollen had um changed into oh. uh swollen to a blown up balloon had it yeah it had swollen like a balloon uh, there was no discoloring yet there was no discoloration of it yet um so i was wondering had i banged it i wasn't too sure but i genuinely thought that i was sick and the foot was something extra i didn't know it was a combination of both wow. um but I, I went to the hospital and they literally goes, we'll take bloods. And I goes, okay. Um, but then they seen the pictures that I'd taken because I'd been taking pictures of the progression of it. And I had gone black at this stage where it started to go black. Um, and they had to cut it open to relieve pressure. Um, then they started to put me under sedation with heavy painkillers. Um, and I wasn't too sure about what happened after that. It's only me being recalled. Like my missus telling me afterwards what was actually happening. But they had to take a sample to see what was the disease. If it, if it was the disease, they weren't too sure. But that took 48 hours. So they gave me antibiotics for four different things, hoping that that would keep it at bay or what have you. But, um, they, but they came back after those 48 hours and told you you had necrotizing fasciitis, which if, yeah, in layman's terms is... What? Yeah, they call it NF because it is a bit of a mouthful. Um, but yeah, it was a disease that I'd never heard of. Um, well, it used to be I'd known still... as a flesh-eating bug, didn't it? Yeah, yeah, because normally when, if you were anyone to look it up, the thing that comes after it says flesh-eating virus or flesh-eating bug or whatever. Now, the pictures, when you do Google it, are fairly graphic. But when I was told that, I purposely stayed away from all of that because I didn't want to know what was going on. Um, but yeah, on that, when you're touching on that, that, that's what I had. It was a case of I was just lying on the bed very much very sick still and not knowing what was going on and the doctor opens the the curtain and to be fair this man he saved my life i mean there's no bones about it like uh he said we have to go right now and i was kind of thinking i'm getting discharged that kind of way and he says no 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 he goes we've scored for emergency surgery like right now and i'm like what and he says no no he goes this is life-threatening here mr walsh he goes that leg is probably gone he goes more or less that's gone from um, the hip down gonna, from the hip down from the hip down, yeah, from the hip down, because on that, while I was in there for those two days, uh, the swelling, what they were doing, they'd mark my leg with marker, he said, down by the ankle bone, and then the swelling had gone past it to the shin. Then they'd mark the shin, and it had gone past that up towards the knee. So it was eating its way up my leg, oh, but unbeknownst to me, that's what was going on. 
So I was oh kind of so it was creeping up your leg, and the mark kept creeping up with it as to where they were going to amputate. Did he get? I mean, exactly. he's very he's very honest with you. He spoke about your survival rate, didn't he? Yeah, no, I mean, it, it's it, it's very it's very like he was twenty five percent of if it is fatal, but in my case because it, it was twenty five percent of putting through, um, and as you can imagine, to hear that when you think that there's nothing really wrong with you, it was a bit of a like the consolation prize he was telling me was that your leg is gone. We're going to try and save your life. Like that was what the term they used to my wife. They said, we're actually trying to save his life, not his limb. And I was like, this is unbelievable. Like, out of nowhere, like I'm saying. But when I was told that on that day, I think I would have said it on a Facebook post, was I was rushed out of the, the ward and there was a priest around. Uh, and the problem was I was looking for my wife because she had just gone away. We didn't think it was as serious as what it was, even I though I was very sick. Yeah. Um, she comes back and, like I said, but like to, to be told, you know, like that you don't have time to say goodbye to your children, and you, like so you would ask to see your two daughters and to see your wife again, and that wasn't possible. It, well, I just by chance, by, it was almost something over film. By the time I got to the lift, as then being brought up, uh, the wife had arrived, so she was she ran down to me, and I noticed by her reaction to her being told something, I knew it was worse again because like, this woman has made a stone, and to see her break down, and she came over to me, and I was saying, "Is this it?" And she was there. I found it after she was talking at the affairs in order kind of thing. And uh, get his affairs in order because I, I was reading your notes because the survival of this is 25 percent. Yeah, Good. well, it, it can vary. I mean, it well, the NHS on, says like, the NHS says that two in every five people die, even with treatment. Exactly. Um, so were you prepared? Like, I, I, were you prepared for death? Like, had they, you know, did you come to terms with that? Uh, yeah, it was it was the classic. I'll be honest, deal. It was like, nah, it's not going to happen. Like, I, I was there. No, nah, it can't happen. Me, I can't. You know, nah. You'd read about this somewhere, or like someone, a, a listener right now might listen and go, "Oh, that won't happen." To me, I thought the exact same, and I didn't have time to really react or to think about it. Like I said, I looked at the wife and goes, "I think this is it. Is it? Is this it?" But all I wanted to do was see my daughters because I was willing to say bye. Like, but I didn't have the the time. I mean, and rightly so because in turn, it saved it saved me. Like. God, it's the kind um, of storyline you hear from one of those tacky horror movies, you know, flesh-eating virus or yeah, a bug. To be fair, even even the pictures that I would have posted, I mean, they're the mild ones. I mean, they're ones before and after treatment, not during it. And I wouldn't leave people see them because it is something like out of a horror movie. Um, but they must have done incredible work, though. The surgeon, the medical team, you know... On, Firstly, firstly, you I, I, didn't die, and secondly, to the best of my knowledge, from what I've seen, you didn't lose your leg. No, 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 I still have it. Um, but that was the thing. It was, we'd say that was on the Tuesday, and on the Wednesday, obviously, I was in a coma. Um, the discussion would have been, you know, when they were talking to my partner and stuff, is, the discussion was, are they going to keep his leg? Uh, can we keep his leg? What are we going to do to save his leg? Do you know, and thankfully, the antibiotics I'd have been on for the two days previous subsided it enough to where they thought yeah we can we can keep it but when I came out of theatre every operation it was a case of we'll wait to see till the next one how many I operations uh, in total there was eight <laughs> and over um, over time of course and the, and the operations and the surgery the virus started to creep back down your leg again didn't it well what happened was when they, when they done that on the Tuesday because I still remember the exact days when they done the Tuesday they, they literally how could I put it? It was going, they were worried that it could come back. They were worried, you know, yourself because if it got in a little pin drop of a, a cut, I mean, the fact that my leg was fully opened, the risk of infection for me was 
unbelievable. And the fact that they, it was exposed nerve. Like I never had any skin on that until the last operation. So there was what I think I'd six six weeks of where I had to have a, two machines on my leg that were basically getting rid of we say, the badness. Yeah, I know. Um, and I can only imagine. I know. I can imagine what they were taking out of your leg with those machines. Good God. That was disgusting. It, it, it wasn't pleasant. And was the pain through this brutal all the way through it, yeah? I, I, I cannot describe. I, I, you could imagine. I, I just, I, I can't describe. I mean, it got so bad that the bandage changes were happening in theatre. Um, you were on every type of drug you could imagine um, to where like, it was almost, I, I would use the term of form of torture, but it, it almost had to be done. Like, you weren't sleeping. Um, like I was saying, when I was up in ICU, like anyone else, if they had been up there, like I was up there for two weeks, you were, you were on, like I was on a ventilator for four, five days. You were being fed through tubes and then you're under constant pain in your leg. Um, and if, I this, sleeping, like, yeah, if this hadn't been arrested, it would have literally crept all over your entire body. It, I'll be honest, it's one of those things, you know, when you're kind of questioning yourself going, if, imagine if I hadn't, if I hadn't gone to the Mercy Hospital on that Sunday morning, yeah. there's no doubt about it, I was gone. Hundred percent, um, and like I said, we're about like I've since then I've been in touch with people and stuff. I've tried to get in touch with people, and a lot of them are worse off than myself, as in their amputees and stuff like that. Is and it very rare though, or because you know, unbelievably rare, unbelievably rare. Like I'd never heard of it. Like I said before, um, I wouldn't look into it until I was comfortable enough to realize that I can talk about it and stuff like that. So it's only recent I started looking into it and. In Ireland, I mean, if you were to Google it in Ireland, you'd be lucky to find a few people. Now, I have been in touch. There was one person actually in, from Cork that has been on to me, thankfully. Now, I can't go into her story because it's her own business. Oh, I know. Like I'm just that. wondering how prevalent it is. Yeah. You're saying very, very few. Here's the, I haven't heard of anyone. Here's the million dollar question. Do you think you got bitten by a fly or a mosquito or something on holidays? No, no, I, I really don't. I, I, well, I'm saying I really don't think so, but I can't know for sure, you know, that way. But I think it was a little cut. But the doctors have checked me all over. Like, they were looking around me like like I was a, a, little, a little experiment inside it because they took them by surprise as much as myself. Oh, my God, yeah. And they did a fanta- bang-up job. And then you got a skin graft as well, didn't you? Yeah, so that would, like, so after the seven ups, um, the last one then was, they were saying, we think, no, the leg is ready. Like, everything is grand, as in everything is gone. We think, no, the leg is ready for the skin graft. So they took, we'd say, from the left thigh, uh, the skin and listen, even that they were telling me the detail of it. It's madness. It's what well, it's the word. It's it's magic how they do it. Um, and they done that, and it was a case of like to stay in the bed for the week after that. So the skin the graft leg. would take, yeah, I know, and it did. Yeah. And and how were your wife and two daughters throughout all of this? They must have been absolutely oh. in bits. I honestly, like I said, this I could have done what I done a hundred times over than what they had to. Do you get me? Yeah. Like. I, yeah. cu- I couldn't imagine that because like, my wife being told to get your fair and then have to come out to the kids and I wouldn't we we lied to them and be honest like because I would I didn't want to see like when I was in intensive care I didn't want them to see me in that way because I had tubes coming out of me everywhere I was like you know, constant blood transfusions and you know yourself and like, you don't want the children to see like that I know um, but even even now like the girls are used to it no but it took a while because it, it was one of those things when the skin graft was done as if you're getting to the very end of it um I had to, I had to show them because I I would be with me for the rest of my life. So if they didn't get used to it back then, yeah, they'll never get. Used to and it. are you and open? Or, yeah, they. Sorry, they prefer to them what? 
No, to be fair, they, they adapted very well. Like, brilliant, very brilliant. Good and how, how, how have you coped? I mean, are you up and around? Are you like can you you can walk? Can you run? Can you cycle? What can you do? Yeah, uh, I, I'd be honest. Like you pretty much have to learn how to walk again. But what would happen then is you'd go to the theatre and you'd have to do it again, and that would knock you back for six. So the 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 rehab has been slow, but it's still ongoing. Like I mean, I'm still going to the the hospital. I'm still like I've I've the surgeon again in two weeks to have another look over. So like I'm still in the recovery phase, but if I can walk around, it, like I've gone from not being able to walk to Zimmer frame to crutches to now making very small journeys. We'd say maybe out to the car or back oh or something. My you know God, that? Oh man, what a year! Good God! But I'd suffer for it. I'd suffer for it. I'd, I'd, like that's the one thing. Like I can do something, but I'd suffer for it. Like if I walked there, I would say why not. 100 meters I'd be sitting down for about three hours like the, the leg is always elevated and like it is it, it was a bad old thing fascitis yeah my god yeah yeah. The, NF, the, yeah. the flesh eating d- disease or bug or virus or whatever like, do you consider yeah, yourself a lucky guy or unlucky kind of both really aren't you yeah I'm the I'm the luckiest unluckiest man that's, think, it. In that. <laughs> that's it yeah. you know that's it. I like I'm very unlucky, but I'm lucky in December because but, but, but I look at you know, I try to I try to make I wouldn't say make light of it. I, I, I almost embrace it in that because like the the you want the mortality rate and stuff there, like like I complain about being sore about I was in there walking a hundred meters. I complain about that. But for a doctor is just gonna go, You shouldn't be here and you shouldn't have your leg. I know. You should be grateful. Yeah, 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 yeah. It, yeah. It, the groups with that are trying to accept that, especially with the fact that I am an active person. So taking that away from you, you're like, oh no! But then you have to realise where you, where you, where you could have been, you know. Six feet under. Well, hundred percent. I mean, I like it wasn't just once. I mean, what I should what I should say a while ago is when I went up on the Tuesday for that with on, like on the Thursday, the my lungs collapsed. Well, like, kidney failure. Yeah, yeah, I know. But you should be dead. Like if you went home thinking yeah, you were goat and you were being treated for something that you didn't have, which is what you were told in in, in South Dock, you'd just have died over a couple of days, maybe even. A couple of hours. Yeah, and and that's the thing. Like most, and I've not been with, with men anyway. I'll be all right. I'm like that. I'll be all right. I'll be all right. Yes. But I just was. You know, I have to go to the hospital. And if I didn't go to the hospital on the Sunday, they've taught me that. But even if I went on the Monday, no, I would have been too late. 100%. And we wouldn't. And we wouldn't be having this conversation now. Listen. Good luck I'm with. Good, good luck with the recovery. Slow and all as it is, you're getting there. Yeah, I am getting there, so it's a, a long process, but I'll get there. And another thing as well, I want to say that the Mercy Hospital, just quickly, the staff, the doctors, Dr. Gerald McGreal is an absolute hero. You bet, um, you bet. Yeah. Absolute hero. No, I love hearing these stories, I really do, because we need to talk about the positives and the life-saving work that goes on in hospitals. So thank you for that, Robbie, and best to you and the no, family, all right? No bother, Neil. Thank you very much. Cheers, take care. Oh, what a wonderfully comprehensive interview. And that's uh, touched a couple of points. Neil Prendival is here, even when he's on holidays. Uh, glad to play that because Neil wanted to get to it last week. Uh, and when the guy said, I'm the luckiest unlucky guy, uh, I can empathise with that. And I also uh, can advocate that uh, Dr. Jared McGreal is one in a million. I had some vein work done with uh, Dr. McGreal. He's absolutely brilliant. And one of the best writers, he's a calligrapher, one of the best writers I've ever come across as well. But having a couple of brushes uh, with accidents myself, I know what he means uh, by saying you're the luckiest unlucky man alive. And that was Robbie in a great interview by Neil Prendival. It's 24 minutes after 11. This is the Neil Prendival Show. Tweet the show at Neil Red FM. 104 to 106 Red FM. And you can call the program. Our lines remain open until about 12.15. At one eight five zero one zero four one zero six, you can text us on 0868-104-106 or email the regular show 
email address is neil at redfm.ie. Now to line six and to David. Morning, David. Hi, everything's Mick. Very good. You sound like a lively one. <laughs> I am a lively one. Don't worry. I'm always lively. Okay. What do you want us? What do you want to say? You want us to email Taoiseach Mihol Martin? Yeah, I kind of um. I was listening to the news on the days and I heard he made a huge statement basically bashing young people with regards to house parties. Now, I'm not advocating house parties here, but I just think it was really unfair of him to really target young people in that sense when we have so many tourists coming to the country and there's a statement by Thomas Shelley of Bradford to say, yeah, we shouldn't really um, quarantine tourists for two weeks and I understand the statement was meant to also include the fact that those are tourists coming from low um, viral counted um, countries but regardless that was dismissed and it was basically people were getting the intention that oh here are tourists coming to the country and there's been tourists spotted in the country saying oh you know we don't need to quarantine no we've been we've only come through the borders and stuff so I was kind of like this is ridiculous that you're going to target this and address this but you're not even going to look at the tourism Mm-hmm. So to me, it was like, there needs to be something said about this. Yeah, having open airports and closed bars is, is really getting on some people's metal. So I don't... Absolutely. I, yeah. Um, can I ask you a question? It's, it, you know the way that... And I'm, not, I'm apolitical. I've been accused in this programme before of being a Sinn Féiner, a Fianna Fáiler, and a, a, a Fianna Gaeler all in one two weeks, right? Um, so let me say I'm apolitical. But it, it's generally felt by the people, that Leo Varadkar and Simon Harris did a pretty bang-up job when it came to a course with the assistance of Tony Hulin and the uh, team at the uh, Department of Health and the HSE and all the frontline oh, workers. Hey, Let's not I'm forget not anybody, right? So w- I, I think we had a pretty successful transit through the phases. Mm-hmm. And now there's a new captain at the helm, if you like, Taoiseach Michal Martin. And, and lest the figures get worse, do you think he, he reacted and erred on the side of safety? by, you know, extending phase four back to where it originally was on the 10th of August. Lest he be accused of, well, it was grand under, under Leo, and then Michal took over and it went to pot. I know, this rotating T-shock thing is, might just be a mess. Um, I think it may have just been the timing of when he came to power, because we are in the middle of transitioning over, and Leo has been leading this entire campaign of the phases. Like, for example, him and Tony were really trying to roll this out, and they were really strict with it. And suddenly it's, we don't know where we stand now once the change in leadership comes. So I'd say Michal kind of, he just reacted poorly. He was like, oh no, I don't know what to do here. We just postpone it, which is fine and all. Well, there's, a, there's always the, you know, you're better to be safe than sorry um, kind of thing. That's not much true, consolation for the pubs. Let's bring in, then it's also, let's also open the airports for no apparent reason. It's like, we leave this country closed, we can deal with this issue ourselves. And I don't see why we need to open air. Like, what is the actual purpose of opening public airports? Well, the American contribution to this country, and I'm not bringing it down to money, but it has to be said, the American contribution to this country in FDI, foreign direct investment, is stellar. It's absolutely huge. The American corporations like Apple and Microsoft and Facebook who headquarter here, it's Apple's second biggest headquarters after Cupertino in California, and, and you know, 6,000 people up there alone. There must be 15,000, 20,000 people working directly for American companies here. Uh, and that's a lot of, uh, a lot of money. That's being uh, a lot of taxation dollars or dollars into euros, if you like, that's being paid here. And the American tourist is the probably the biggest contributor to, to Board Fulcha or Fulcha Ireland or whatever they're called now. Uh, 1.2 billion uh, euros last year. 1.2 billion. 
from American tourists. Now, I'm not saying for a moment that's the reason we should drop our guard and let America uh, come over here to Ireland, a low COVID incidence place from a high COVID incidence place, and leave them come in mass. But they are coming. But as you were saying, it's better to be safe than be sorry. Like we are, we're going to get a rescue fund from the EU, as you've seen today, when they've made, like they made the announcement that they've they end up securing the money and it's going ahead. So. I think we are def- we're going to be getting funding towards that. I don't see why we like it's understandable we're getting an income, but is that fair then to bring people in and not follow the rules for them, but then all the citizens have to follow the rules. So it's basically if you're a citizen of this country, you have to follow the rules. But if you're a tourist, go ahead, free reign, live your life. That's where I kind of go, hold on a minute. That isn't fair. Six mo- I'd say six months down the line cuz there, there is hardly any control on this for people coming in. So six months to a year down the line, when we have this under control, there's a vaccine from Oxford and the likes of Pfizer who are producing these behind the scenes. When these vaccines roll in, then we have more of a chance to bring this back in. And if it causes us to go into recession for an extra year or so, fair enough. But I would rather have the safety and I'd rather have my relatives safe than have people roaming free around the country and just really discrediting what we've worked so hard for over the past few months. Yeah, we've all worked very hard for it. We've all taken sacrifices. Exactly. We've all absented ourselves from uh, loved ones and family members. And there's a certain amount of caution being thrown to the wind now, I think. I saw a lot of American tourists in, uh, not West Cork, but I suppose south to West Cork over the weekend. Um, and you can't ask. Well, you can, but you probably get a stiff answer. You don't know if they've been in quarantine or not. That's it. You, well, that's the thing. It's, there is, as I said, there is no control on this. We don't know what has happened, uh, where these people have come from, because they could have come through England and then come back in. We don't know. And fair enough, there is business trade that needs to go ahead. But I'm pretty sure we've done it for the past three months without the business trade. So now suddenly we open the borders because either people are getting a little bit frustrated that they haven't been on a holiday. I don't think so. OK, got to leave it there, David. Thanks a million, though. But I, 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 like, that, I like that line in your text. Uh, I wonder if we all just emailed the Taoiseach, Michal Martin. How can we email him? Uh, all of us, but we could, I guess. And tell him to stop being a money-hungry hungry yoke. Absolutely. That's the thing. <laughs> That's why I knew you you'd be a lively one. Together. Thanks, David. Thanks so much, mate. Cheers, Talk all the best. Bye-bye. Now, disappointment on the line. Line one is Marie. Hi, Marie. Hi, how are you? You're disappointed you couldn't hire out a wheelchair. Yeah, I'm I'm actually raging because my dad lives in Dublin, right? And we don't really get to see him often. So we said, look, we'll go to Taylor Park and we'll invite him down for the day and all the grandkids and everything. But like he's got, like he's not disabled, but he's, you know, he's not in good health. So he'd need to sit in a wheelchair like for the day in Taylor Park. So I called them today just to like book it. And she told me they can't um, hire them out because of the COVID. Why is that? Surely it can be easily sanitised. I know, that's what I said. I said, are you sure? And she's like, oh, yeah, um, we can't. She said, you can bring your own. I said, but I don't have my own. I said, it's really short notice as well. Like, So, yeah. I don't know what to do. Um, I, you know, I can take their point as well. That we, okay, we've made a decision not to rent them. Bring your own. If you don't have your own, well, tough luck. Um, but you would imagine it's something that could be sanitised easily. Um, for instance... Come um, on, it's a wheelchair. It can be washed down. What about in hospitals? Like, people are sharing them all the time in the hospitals mm-hmm. and stuff. Obviously, they're washed, they're sanitised, and they're ready to go again. Like, yeah. there's plenty of things we're all sharing at the minute, like trolleys and all that kind of stuff. Like, we're all sharing trolleys, we're know? all sharing we're baskets. We're all doing it, exactly. So why not a wheelchair when it's a real necessity? Like, it's not like, you know, we're in it for the laugh, do you know what I mean? 
Yeah, there's it's a stu- the, the main studio here in Red FM is used by everybody, right? So that must be maybe 40, 50 different shows a week. Uh, and we all do a bit to sanitise and clean it down exactly. afterwards. Exactly. That's what you do, like. I mean, if he had to wear gloves, he'd wear gloves. He's going to wear a mask. Um, but then just not to have them at all. And then we got an email today saying that we have to wear masks in the indoor areas due to the new laws again. Which is fine also, like we can abide by the rules, that's fine. I just don't get why they can't hire out the wheelchair. Well, to be fair and to give Tatum Park a right of response, we are putting a call in with them and we will uh, determine their exact position. It it may be just a corporate decision that we're not renting wheelchairs because we can't guarantee uh, that we can sanitise them properly or whatever. It may be just, you know, companies can make decisions off their own back to protect their staff, protect their customers. So we'll see what they say. Grand job. Anywhere else you could rent one, by the way? I have no idea. Honest to God, I don't know. Like, yeah. Because, I mean, we're driving up from Cork in the morning, so if I was to get somewhere, it would be in Dublin. Like, Yeah. Well, let's find I out what know. they say anyway. Grand. grand. Thanks very much. Thanks a million. Cheers, Marie. Bye. Thanks. Bye-bye. And another Marie is on line five. Uh, and let's go to her. Hi, Marie. Or is it Mari? Hi, Mick. How are you? Marie. 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 Now, you're Robbie's mm-hmm. ma'am. Uh, Robbie spoke no, to me. No, I'm Robbie's mum in law. Mum in law, I beg your pardon. I read it wrong. That's my <laughs> fault. <laughs> no, Bree Des is mum. <laughs> don't, don't be claiming motherhood. I know, I know. Sorry about that. Um, yeah, now, he, of course, he spoke to Neil Prendival last week. Neil didn't get uh, the chance to play it, so happy to play it this week. Okay. It's an amazing story. It's unbelievable. Like, no one would believe it unless they were there, like, and they saw it happening. Like, it happened so fast, like, in the space of a couple of days. Like, no one would believe how fast this thing takes over. It's just unbelievable. On, see, I couldn't explain it as such, you know. I mean, because I say, like, if other people now had gone through that, I would have said, you know, they ignored it, or you know, they didn't, you know, take enough care of it. Or, and, and it's all down to one Sunday visit, really. Just, just, say that again, Mick. It, sorry, it's, it's all down to the timing of one visit to the Mercy Hospital on a Sunday morning. That one if it didn't happen, visit. he was a hundred percent certain he wouldn't be here today. Yeah. I tell you, their strength, I'm so proud of both of them, their strength, like, it's it's just, you know, unbelievable, really, like, and truly, you know, people need to be aware, like, that this could happen, You, as he said himself, like, earlier on, you never think it would happen to you, and here you are, like, you know, and it's like the after effects, you know, they're like, it's, it is life-changing, you know, there's no, no point in saying it isn't, it is life-changing, you know, and, uh, like, it's, it's just, I don't know. How, how do you feel now? I, I know he said he, he's, the, he's the luckiest unlucky man alive. Do you feel lucky yeah. or unlucky now? Say that again, Mick, sorry. Do, do you guys feel lucky or unlucky now that it's all happened? Um, I suppose, like, in one breath, you feel lucky because of the matter the fact of, like, he being told, like, go away and get your affairs in order, like, and of that course, was that. Yeah. And there was, oh, it, like, a hair's breadth, like, of he was going to be gone or was he going to be here? Do you know, like, it's... Um, you know, I suppose, like, in one sense, as you say, like, you feel unlucky because, what, like, this happened to you, you know, why you, in one sense. But then in another breath, then, it's, you know, we, you know, we could be out in the, the graveyard visiting him yeah. rather than going up to the house to visit him, you know? Do you know, it's... it's, it's an, just... an amazing story. T- t- timing had a lot to do with it. Unluckiness, of course, timing. had a lot, lot to do with contracting it in the first mm-hmm. place. Uh, but mm-hmm. the, t- the timing was impeccable. Mm-hmm. Uh, timing, yeah, and, 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 and like the expertise of the doctors, you know. Yeah, and I, know, I, and, I and I called I called Gerald McGreal, um, Doctor Gerald McGreal. Mm-hmm. But when when you work so hard yeah. to be from, to go from an ordinary citizen to a doctor, and then you work yeah. even harder to become a consultant, you really want to be called yes. Mister. So oh, my apologies, Mister oh, McGreal. 
Uh, and what, what, what a wonderful surgeon and, and a fantastic man. Oh, do you know? No, I think Mr. O'Brien was involved as well, I think, along oh, the I'm way. Oh, I'm sure there was, a, there was a whole crew of people. Uh, yeah, and, you know, a fair juice to them. Like, they're the reason that, you know, he's still alive and they're the reason that he still has his leg, you mm. know? And they're the reason, like, you know, that he's, you know, he's making good progress. It's a happy you ending. Know? He's philosophical because he's he does happy. have some restrictions and limitations, but he's getting yeah. there. He's yeah. alive and he's yeah. alive with the leg he, he could have there. lost. Yes, exactly, yeah. exactly. All right, Marie. Know? Thanks a million, girl. You're welcome. All bye. the best. Bye-bye. 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 It was three, but now it's suddenly four people have phoned us already with uh, a wheelchair for Marie's dad. So uh, we can uh, hook them up. Maybe someone who's closest to the, uh, the area where Marie is living. I don't know where that is. Uh, but we already have four kind listeners who phoned in with a wheelchair that she can take to Dublin in the back of the car tomorrow, not have to rent one in Dublin, uh, and give her dad that day out that he so richly deserves. Now, we have uh, a text from uh, Paudy. The initial plan was five phases. Uh, pubs were in the fifth phase of reopening on August 10th, and this plan was changed to four phases, which was a mistake in my view, says Paudy. The original plan was to step back one phase should the R number increase. The R number did increase, and we did not step back one as planned. Instead, we stalled moving to step four, which is mistake number two. Uh, that's uh, regards, says Councillor Paudy Deneen. Get in touch with the programme on 1850 106 is our text line. And email neil at redfm.ie. The Neil Prendival Show on Cork's Red FM. Our phone lines remain open after midday. 1850-104-106. And Edward McCormack joins us on line one. Good morning, Edward. Good morning, how are you? Very good. Now, you purchased a property on the Rochestown Road in December 2019. Correct. Okay, yes. take uh, the story from there. You need to get water connection. Yes, so we need to get a wastewater and connection, and we were told we were connected to the water. So prior to submitting my wastewater application, uh, I contacted customer service within Irish Water. I wanted to confirm two things, that their website was uh, up to date on the charges, and that Rochestown Road, where I was, uh, where I purchased the house, was in Cork City Council, as um, the transfer boundaries were extended for Rochestown. So for eight weeks they sat on my application uh, until the country shut down each week that I rang they said it was progressing from phase one to phase two and it would be nearly be in going for finance approval and on May 27th I got an email from the engineer saying that they were just starting my water my wastewater application So to be clear um, Edward are, are you in Cork City or Cork County now? I'm in actually Cork City according to uh, the Boundary Newsletter that was issued on January 2019 and approved by President Michael D. Higgins on January 25th. Okay, so you, you would have been Irish in Cork, Cork County, but that. the expanding boundaries now have you in Cork City. Correct, yes. Okay, carry on. So, I suppose, over and back, emails, phone calls, I finally got a letter of offer last week from Irish Water for over 27,000 for 20 metres of connection from the manhole where it's located on the road to my boundary wall. Um, which I thought was outrageous. I asked for a breakdown of costs. Irish Water told me I wasn't privileged to that information. Now, Irish Water was formed in 2013, and 
Its core principle at the founding was to provide safe, clean and affordable water and wastewater services to water users in Ireland. So my question for senior management within waste, uh, within Irish water is, can they explain to me like what part of my letter of offer is affordable? Because to me, it absolutely represents failure of leadership by senior management within Irish water to uh, deliver on their core principle. What kind of bill um, were you expecting, Edward? 10,000 I had met up from their website uh, so they have a breakdown of complete costs of anything over 15 metres so you, the first 10 metres is a set fee then f- 10 to 15 metres is another set fee and then anything over 15 metres is a quotable cost but instead of doing uh, the 10 to 15 metres cost they put that at zero and put everything as a quotable cost so you know they're charging me as well for opening and closing the road and resourcing our old road that came to seven and a half thousand. Well, I guess that has um, to be done. It has to be done, yes. So uh, I suppose when my article was released to the Irish Examiner on Saturday, uh, a person that used contract for Irish Water in doing this work uh, contacted me contacted me through Twitter. Uh, now he's above and Dublin. He did this up to a year ago for Irish Water, and he costed a whole lot at six thousand is the cost for that lint of connection. He said, now, then you add on your money for profit. He said, you can add on 2,000, 4,000, but by the looks of it, Irish Water, adding on 21,500 for a profit. He said, that's exactly what it costs, he says, and be under no illusions by anyone else telling you anything else. Okay, now, we're, we're happy to highlight this if, if it is what seems to be a, you know, an exorbitant charge. But we also have to be cognizant that there may be extenuating circumstances. I mean, I, I don't know. What, what situation was the old house you bought in as regards fresh drinking water and wastewater? So when we bought the house, we weren't connected to wastewater, obviously. But we weren't connected to mains water. And we've had no mains water for the past eight weeks because they cannot find our valve on the side of the road. They reckon it got covered over when the footpaths were relayed. So we've had no mains water for eight weeks. We've been using our neighbour's water to continue our building works. And this has been unacceptable uh, by my wife and I. And all we're getting from Irish water is just deplorable, really, on what they're saying to us. They're making no effort to get our connection um, sorted. Uh, so we have our mains water. So we have a letter from the solicitors when we bought the house that we are connected to mains water by Irish Water and serviced by Cork City Council. Okay, that now, shouldn't come into any cost. Okay. Well, we did request from Irish Water uh, on behalf of you uh, a statement and they promised to issue a response before the end of the show yesterday, which they did. Uh, and I have it here. Now, the first, I think, is, is probably... Uh, just standard fare, but uh, let me read it to you. Irish Water cannot comment on individual cases in relation to connections. However, in terms of connecting to the public water and wastewater networks, it's important to outline some fundamental criteria which may explain some of the issues highlighted in your query. It's acknowledged as best practice for those seeking a connection to the public network that early engagement with Irish Water prior to construction is prudent. Uh, The benefits of this early engagement with Irish Water is encouraged as feedback can be provided on the feasibility of the connection, the location of Irish Water's network, and to discuss the optimum design and associated associated costs of the connection. This process begins with a pre-connection inquiry, which can be found on our website, and they give a, a URL there. In cases where a connection is sought and an offer is made, Irish Water will outline the optimal option and the costs associated. Irish Water will advise in line with our standard details and codes of practice, uh, which ensures all the best practices are followed in relation to the construction of the connection. It goes on. Will, will I finish it? 
Yeah, sure, go yeah, ahead. Irish Dad, water, I can respond. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Irish Water Standard Connection Charge is approved by the Commission for the Regulation of Utilities. Covers service connections, typically transverse road crossings of up to 10 metres from the property boundary. Where a network extension is required to facilitate the service connection, there is a, this is a quotable cost and depends on local factors such as ground conditions, other services or utilities in the area, road reinstatement requirements, etc. In some cases where a road has been recently resurfaced, for instance, additional road reinstatement may not, or sorry, may have to be carried out at the request of the local authority, which can significantly impact the cost of the network extension. Irish Water is happy to engage with all developers and customers to discuss and explain terms of connection offers. More information can be found on www.water.ie forward slash connections. That's their statement. Yeah, so I did engage with Irish Water. I engaged with them uh, the week after Christmas uh, when everybody was back to work. So I highlighted what their charges were on their website. They said they were correct. Um, the standard charge for additional service length, as I say, they put zero there, even though their website says for it's €442 Euros per square metre for anything 10 to 15 metres, and then 15 metres over is a quotable cost. Mm-hmm. Now, I understand that the road has to be resurfaced, but what am I paying for with the 3929, the 2210, and then the quotable cost? And then they're adding on 7500 for resurfacing of the road. Now, the road was last resurfaced in 2015. That's the last time it was resurfaced. So I'm road. just reading through the lines here, Edward, and it's only my own personal yeah. uh, interpretation here. But this is the line that sticks out for me. It is acknowledged as best practice for those seeking a connection to the public network that early engagement with Irish Water prior to construction is prudent. You, you engage with them early, but did you engage prior to construction? Well, we haven't we haven't constructed that prior to construction of my house. Is it? I, I don't know. I'm just reading house. the line from yes. the statement. Yeah. Yeah. We did. We did engage. I engaged with a senior engineer when he decided to process my application on May 27th. Like they sat on my application from January 16th to May 27th. After and I had repeated phone calls and emails to Irish Water, so they constantly lied on my email and up and phone calls saying that there were processes in my application when in fact, in actual fact, they weren't processes in my application. So it's May 27, they actually started. And then I engaged with the engineer. Now we did, I, I was able to even tell him before he uh, calculated the length of service requirement, what it was, because I had my builder do it for me. So that's, that's how I know it was 20 meters. So we went on their cost associated on their website and that showed that, you know, I said it couldn't be any more than 3,000 euros for the last five metres, considering it was over 6,000 for the first 15. Yeah, you have so a standard charge of 3,929. Uh, there's no additional service meters. length. Yeah, OK. And then the quotable charge, excluding the road opening licence, is 15,936. The road opening yeah. licence uh, license fee is 250. And then the additional costs associated with the road opening licence is 7,561. That's 27,677. Uh, I don't have much time left, Edward, but is this feasible for you to pay? Absolutely not, no. And we're supposed to be moving into our house at the end of August. It took them six and a half months to process our application. And no, we cannot afford that. I had budgeted 10,000 for this. That's what I was told it would cost no more than. And, you know, they come along with a figure just plucked out of the air and they won't give us a breakdown of costs. Okay. Well, we, we have their statement uh, all we can do from here on in, I suppose, is is to monitor how things go between you. 
Um, yes. and, and at least we, we've given you the opportunity to highlight it. And of course, we offer Irish Water a right of response if they, if they wish to do that as well. Uh, and yeah. I suppose all I can do now, uh, Edward McCormick, is wish you and your wife or your partner the best in getting in there on time. And hopefully you can sort this out and maybe there'll be some accommodation uh, or reduction made so to bring it into some affordable realm for you. Absolutely. All Thank right. you very much. Thank you very much, out. Edward. Thanks. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. That's uh, Edward McCormick. Now, the best of Cork is back and we like to finish the programme on a high and... Uh, Things are opening. We're mentioning businesses that are opening. We mentioned one in Yall. We mentioned the Boson opening today in Monkstown. Uh, but Paul O'Sullivan is the social media manager of Blarney Castle and Gardens and joins us on line two. Good morning, Paul. Good morning, Nick. How are you? Very good. Now, on the 29th of June, 2020, the 600-year-old tradition of kissing the Blarney Stone resumed. Uh, and we'd like to highlight that. It was, uh, of course, the first kiss uh, was from Charles Colthurst himself, the first person to kiss the stone. I suppose he had to, really, hadn't he? I think he had to. I think he had to lead the way, and uh, he was uh, quite, quite happy to do so. And uh, he ran against Liverpool jersey uh, in celebration of their of their title victory. So it was, a, it was a very good day all round. And flew the Liverpool flag as well from the ramparts, I believe. Yes, yes. Unfortunately for me, as a, as you know, it wasn't it wasn't such a great day. But Charles uh, and a number of the staff at Liverpool fans uh, got great enjoyment and toast it. Okay, how how many visitors would come through uh, to kiss the stone on an annual basis, and how has it been? You know, with the necessary inter- interruption this year. So normally we would get about four hundred and sixty thousand visitors um, a year, and about fifty percent of that number then would, would kiss the stone. Um, I suppose since we've reopened, um, you know, that number, I suppose normally this time of year we'd get maybe a couple of thousand people a day. Um, you know, at the moment we're maybe getting a couple of hundred people a day. So it, 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 it's a vast, vast difference. Um, and in terms of people kissing the stone, instead of being about 50%, it's somewhere between 25 and 30%. And so the outlook? The outlook? As well. Yeah, look, it's going, to be, it's going to be a very tough year. I mean, it's... Um, I mean, I suppose we're looking at positive side of it. It's fantastic to see, you know, so many Irish visitors here and, and having a great experience. Um, you know, the Irish market would normally be 10%, 10 to 15% for us. It's pretty much 100% now. And, you know, it's, it's great to see so many people here enjoying it. But, um, you know, international visitors would normally be the, be normally the bulk of our, of our, I suppose, business. But I, I just, it's going to be an extremely difficult year. Um, okay. Now, of course, every every possible health protection measure has been put in place, including spraying the stone. Yes, yeah, so we've always done that, but I suppose, you know, we just felt, obviously, with the current situation, we, we really wanted to go above and beyond. And so we worked with the company Enva here in Cork, who were fantastic. And um, they um, made us aware of a, of a solution that they have that kills 99.9% of Viruses and that includes um, human coronavirus. Um, so we had them out a number of times here to do tests on the stone and obviously to make sure it was safe for people to come in contact with and that it was would have no adverse ad- effects on the stone itself. And uh, those tests all went, went went fantastic. So we were we were thrilled to introduce that along with you know the staff wearing PPE and know, social distancing within the castle and, and all that kind of thing. Yeah, and all right. People have been delighted with it so far. 
fast. So the process is a bit longer. It takes about two minutes between people. But I think people are delighted to see that and feel more comfortable. So you're operating at reduced capacity, but you'll be happy to fill that capacity. And we'll be happy uh, to give away some family passes as well uh, on your behalf because this 600-year institution has returned. It necessarily stopped on the 13th of March, returned on the 29th of June, and we're happy to herald the reopening uh, of the gift of the gab, I suppose, kissing the Blarney Stone. Paula Sullivan, <laughs> Social Media Manager, Blarney Castle and Gardens. Thank you very much this morning. Thank you very Cheers. much. Have a good day. And thanks, you too. And you can call us on one eight five zero one zero four one zero six if you want to go and kiss the Blarney Stone. My thanks to our producers, Brenda Dennehy, and to uh, Mark Willington, who uh, so ably handled the programme this morning. We're back tomorrow morning on the Neil Prendival Show. News at 12 is next. Thanks for listening to this Red FM podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and check out redextra.ie for more great Red FM content.